Let's do it. And now, shining the spotlight on the future of hockey. Hello, it's Paul Byron of the Vancouver Giants. I'm Kirby Dock of the Saskatoon Blades. I'm Dylan Cousins of the Westbridge Hurricanes. Hey guys, this is Cam Hurt. Spencer Knight. This is Matt Boldy. It's Alex Turcott from Team USA. Hi, it's Maurice Sider from the Edelman. This is Alex Lafreniere of the Rimouski Oceanic. Major Junior. They were the best in the QMJHL. And now the Huskies are Memorial Cup champions. NCAA. Everybody in that Bulldog section's on their feet. The bench is ready to party as the UMD Bulldogs are back-to-back national champions. The World Juniors. Time winding down, and Finland has won the World Junior Championship in Vancouver in spectacular style. The NHL Draft. With the first pick overall, the New Jersey Devils are proud to select from the U.S. program, Jack Hughes. And more. Unbelievable. Wow. Incredible. This is the Pipeline Show. All right. Brand new intro means a brand new season. Welcome to season 15 of the Pipeline Show. My name is Gee Flaming. Thanks for everybody for tuning in. Whether this is the first episode of the program that you've ever heard or you're a returning listener, pleased to have you on board for this one. We will uh, kick it off with the question of the day, which is the way we open every show here on the program. And uh, I put the question of the day out on Twitter. You can follow me on Twitter if you're not already. At TPS underscore Gee is my handle on Twitter. And uh, the question today is, it's obviously very, very early, and the 2020 draft is uh, still 10 months away, but I want to know, like, who's your top three right now? And uh, a number of responses have come in. Ryan says, Lucas Raymond from Sweden, Cole Perfetti, Quentin Byfield, both Canadians. Twitter handle, Vancouver Mover, says, uh, Laffy Taffy, I'm going to go out on a limb and suggest that's uh, Alexi Lafreniere. Uh, And he also picks out uh, Quentin Byfield and one of the Swedes, uh, Flip a Coin, between Holtz or Raymond. Lucas Puncari from the uh, Prince Albert Herald says it's Lafreniere, Byfield, and uh, Drysdale. He says, I think the Swedish duo and Perfetti are probably more likely at three, but the overall lack of super high-end D at this point has me thinking Drysdale moves up the board. And I will tell you right now, he's not. that's not the only person you're going to hear on this episode of the show today who suggests that uh, Jamie Drysdale could be a uh, top three-player for the 2020 NHL draft. Nick Merrick, voice of the Portland Winterhawks, he uh, has a Lafreniere, Byfield, Raymond, Holtz, and Perfetti. So he gave me five. Uh, Jordan suggests uh, Lafreniere, Raymond, and Perfetti. John has Lafreniere, Lucas Raymond, and Quinton Byfield as his top three. Cameron says it's a Lafreniere, then Raymond, and then Perfetti. He says, uh, he goes on to add, a sleeper that I predict will rise into the top seven, Seth Jarvis of the Portland Winterhawks. I like him a lot, says Cameron. You can share your thoughts with me on Twitter at TPS underscore Geek and just look for that uh, that question of the week in my timeline and uh, take it from there. Let's get to some news and notes. And uh, one tournament that really kind of off the radar for everybody. In, in August, you have the uh, U20 Summer Showcase all the players who are vying for it to play in the World Junior Championship at Christmas time for their respective country. Then you have the Holinka Gretzky Cup, which ended a couple, uh, well, about 10 days ago now, I guess. Uh, those are the two big ones. Uh, but there is also the Junior Club World Cup. 
It's held in Russia every year, and uh, North America has been represented a few times over the years. The Sudbury Wolves went over and won it one year, and that's the only time a CHL club has gone over. Uh, the USHL has sent some teams. Uh, I believe the Fort McMurray Oil Barons were over the first year of the tournament. That's like a decade ago. Uh, and again, this year, the Alberta Junior Hockey League will be represented as they're sending an all-star team over. And uh, it's actually a pretty notable team. This tournament gets going on August 23rd. It'll last a week. Uh, in fact, as I'm speaking with you right now, Team AJHL is en route uh, to go over to Russia. But some notable uh, players, uh, Matthew Davis, goaltender with the Spruce Grove Saints, and Carter Guylander, who plays for the Sherwood Park Crusaders, is uh, WHL rights held by the Edmonton Oil Kings, just drafted by the Detroit Red Wings. Uh, both of those guys will be a net. Griffin Bowerman as well of the Camrose Kodiaks is uh, along with the team. A couple of noteworthy players, though, for the 2020 NHL draft, uh, both with Sherwood Park, Michael Benning, defenseman, that's Matthew Benning's uh, younger brother. And uh, Carter Savoy, who is uh, Matthew Savoy's older brother. Uh, both of them playing for Sherwood Park. And both of them probably top two round picks, I would think. At this point, again, lots of time before the uh, the NHL draft comes around. But uh, those guys are both en route uh, to Russia right now. A little bit difficult to uh, follow along with that tournament. Uh, even just trying to find rosters for all the teams and uh, that's not readily available or just not easily accessible at this point. Maybe once the tournament starts, it will be. But um, there's going to be eight teams. Countries represented Austria, Canada, the Czech Republic, Finland, Russia, Sweden, Switzerland, and the United States. The U.S. team is an all-star team from the uh, North American Hockey League, which we just uh, put the spotlight on uh, the NAHL on the last episode of Season 14 a couple of weeks ago. So we'll try to keep tabs on how the Junior Club World Cup, or World Championship, how that unfolds and uh, see how Team AJHL and uh, Team NAHL uh, fare overseas. Some of the teams they'll be playing, Modo, Davos, uh, Red Bull out of Austria. Uh, the Russian team is from uh, Yaroslavl. Karpat representing Finland. So some uh, fairly uh, big-name junior teams over there. Some signings of note uh, here in the WHL. There's been some trades there lately as well, mostly between Saskatoon and Victoria. Those two teams making a couple of swaps this week. Gary Hayden, who was actually really good in Saskatoon last year, they just dealt him to Victoria uh, in exchange. They get Scott Walford, who's a Montreal Canadiens prospect. And I did talk to somebody around the WHL, uh, an executive in the league this week with a team, says there's a lot of rumblings actually right now and there's uh, a lot of people talking a lot of a lot of gms talking there could be some moves uh, in the next over the next two three weeks as uh, camps get started here and one person told me that there are some veteran players in the league who have been say with the same team since they broke into the league and maybe they're going into their fourth season uh, and that there might be two or three of those guys who are looking for a new team so we might see some movement around with some veteran players. And maybe, I mean, Gary Hayden and Scott Walford, Hayden has played with a couple of different teams, but Walford could have fit the bill for being one of those guys as he's been with Victoria for his entire career. I'm not sure if he is, he had asked for a trade or not, but um, it'll be interesting to see if the, there are some veteran players uh, moved around the WHL and not necessarily just because of the overage situation that some teams might have to deal with. So we'll look for that. The Brandon Weekings, though, did uh, sign Marcus Callian Keeley, the uh, Finnish import 
Played in Sioux City last year with the USHL. Drafted by, guess who? The Vegas Golden Knights. So both import players playing for Brandon this season are prospects of Kelly McCrimmon's uh, Vegas Golden Knights. No no shocker there, is it? Uh, Libor Zabransky back in the WHL this season. Played a couple of years with the Kelowna Rockets. Uh, well, a year and a half. He split last year between the Rockets and the Fargo Forest of the USHL. Well, he's back. The Saskatoon Blades have uh, brought him in. Defenseman Carson Sass has uh, gone from Red Deer to Tri-City. That was not a trade. That was uh, the Americans uh, claiming him off waivers. That was a case of Carson Sass being an overage player and the the Rebels uh, deciding to stick with uh, Brett Davis, Cam Hosinger, and Ethan Sakowicz. So uh, Carson Sass, who I like as a player, that's a nice pickup uh, for Tri-City, in my opinion. There will be a lot of veteran goaltenders in the WHL this year as well. Some uh, Some teams will have... Uh, in excess uh, of goaltenders. We just saw Jordan Hollett and uh, Bailey Birkin being released by Medicine Hat and Spokane, respectively. So there's a couple of players that teams could just pick up for free if they want to. Um, But there are going to be some teams, uh, the one in my backyard here with the Edmonton Oil Kings, who have an overage situation to deal with. And one of the, they have four or five, and one of them is uh, Dylan Miskew. So do they opt to keep a 20-year-old goaltender or not? And if they don't, then uh, you'd obviously like to try to get something in exchange for them. But can you right now when guys are hitting the open market for free and teams aren't picking them up? Edmonton's not the only team in that situation. We'll see how things unfold. And you'll hear a lot more about the Edmonton All Kings in a little bit. Speaking of which, uh, the plans here for the next uh, five or six weeks on the Pipeline Show, the start of every season is always the WHL team-by-team previews. And I've always gone with the play-by-play guy. So if I'm talking about, uh, let's say, the Red Deer Rebels, you know Cam Moon is going to come on, and we're going to chat with him for 25, 30 minutes about the Rebels and really get a his perspective on the team. But I've done that for seven or eight years straight now, and so I wanted to change it up a little bit. And uh, this year we're going to go with the general manager or the head coach of the respective team. For some, like the Rebels, that's the same guy. So Brent Sutter... Uh, when we come time to talking about the Rebels, it'll be Brent Sutter. We look at a different team. It might be a GM or it might be the coach. Most teams, and I, I have confirmations uh, for exact interview days and times with uh, 19 of the 22 teams as we speak right now. And almost all of them are the GM. There are a couple that are uh, the coaches, but those are good fits as well. So uh, really looking forward to the start of Season 15. We will get to what's coming down the pipe in a second because... Hey, we're starting those WHL team-by-team previews. We're starting them today. Before I tell you what's coming down the pipe, uh, thank you to uh, everyone who signed up to be a patron at patreon.com slash show. One of the big perks that uh, people get for signing up is uh, early access uh, to the interviews that you hear on the show. The show usually comes out on a Friday or a Saturday, but I do the interviews for the show earlier in the week. Some of the interviews you're going to hear today have been available to patrons for three days, even four days in some cases. That's one of the perks of signing up. It's two bucks a month. You set up your credit card with Patreon and, and PayPal. I never see the numbers, uh, your credit card numbers. It's not like I'm uh, going to be ordering pizza or buying a car or anything with your credit card. It's all done quick and easy. For two bucks a month, you can have early access uh, to all the interviews uh, that you hear on the Pipeline show as well. Uh, thanks to, uh, here's some people who have just signed up here in the last uh, day or two. Mark, James, Todd, and John all signing up here uh, since the last episode of the show. Really appreciate that. 
There's also options if you're uh, somebody who would like to get uh, some promotion for your business. Uh, there are options available through the Patreon page as well uh, for businesses, and there are a few that do that. One of those, for example, is ProStockHockey.com. It's your one-stop shop for all Pro Stock Hockey equipment. You can get new sticks from a variety of NHL players and teams for a fraction of the retail cost. Plus, every stick, hey, you get a 30-day warranty and three free rolls of tape. Visit ProStockHockey.com. And I've been noticing from them as they, they're tweeting out all the new arrivals, I'm a Flyers fan, so I might be able to get a Claude Giroux stick through ProStockHockey.com. And it's not, it's not used stuff, but it's equipment that's made for specific players, and it might have the color scheme on them for that team, but the player gets traded in the offseason, so the Wayne Simmons gear from Philadelphia, it's not going to be used now, so they can retail it, you know? That's how it works, and you can get that stuff from ProStockHockey.com. Really wide selection, a uh, bunch of teams, and uh, I recommend you go check it out. It's pretty cool. Now, because there will be a lot of uh, WHL content on the show over the next uh, five, six weeks uh, with all these team-by-team previews, that's going to be a ton of in-the-dub segments. Those are all brought to you by dubnetwork.ca. Really valuable resource if you're a fan of the Western Hockey League. And through the summer, maybe you're challenged sometimes to to keep up to date on everything that uh, your specific, your favorite team is doing. Uh, Dub Network is a great place to uh, bookmark on your browser so that uh, you can always find it. And you can even set it up so that they'll email you the daily dose of the dub, kind of the daily summaries of what's been happening. Really handy and uh, lots of WHL content on the show for the next month. That means there won't be a lot of uh, college hockey talk, but uh, right now it's pretty quiet around NCAA rinks as uh, teams and players are sort of skating informally on campuses, but the season doesn't start till October. So by then, we'll get you uh, well-versed and set up for the coming college hockey season. But if you are a player or you uh, have one in your family that is exploring your options and uh, are considering the college route, make sure College Hockey Inc. is one of the resources that you tap into. CollegeHockeyInc.com will answer a lot of the questions you might have about uh, keeping and maintaining your eligibility. CHL Insiders, join me courtesy of the store next door, the gift shop, in Yarmouth, Nova Scotia, collecting all the broken hockey sticks that they can get their hands on. Basically, they take that garbage and they turn in some really cool products, whether that's chairs or benches or tables or uh, picture frames or, man, the list goes on and on. They're really creative. They come up with some great ideas. They'll even take your idea and try to uh, transform it into something that you can use uh, and uh, hang on your wall or use as furniture or um, just a promotional item. Lots of great uh, stuff from the store next door. You can check them out, thestorenextdoor.ca. One other news item to pass on uh, for the Pipeline show is uh, you're able to find the show in uh, various areas as uh, I upload the show to SoundCloud and then it gets fed off to uh, iTunes and then obviously to the uh, the podcast app on your phone or your iPad or whatever it is gets picked up there. You can also get it on Google Play or Spreaker. And and as of uh, now... You can also pick up the Pipeline Show on Spotify. So lots of ways to uh, find the Pipeline Show. Happy to be on board with Spotify now as well. All right, that's it for news and notes. Let's get to what's coming down the pipe. As I mentioned, we're kicking off Season 15 in fine style. We're going to get to know three WHL teams as the training camp's right around the corner, but we're going to kick it off the same way we ended Season 14. That's with the Holinka Gretzky Cup. As a scout, Ross McLean was able to go overseas, and he is going to uh, recap that event for us. 
a really in-depth uh, look, and uh, he's going to break down uh, each team, who stood out, a few players who may be disappointed along the way as well. But uh, the scouting season for the 2020 NHL Draft is officially underway with that tournament in the rearview mirror now, so we'll get a recap on what happened overseas with the Holinka Gretzky Cup. From there, we will have three WHL team-by-team previews. First team that uh, that confirmed and set up the interview happened to be the one in my backyard, and that means the Edmonton Oil Kings will be the first team out of the hopper this year. Kurt Hill, the general manager of the Oil Kings, is my guest. Then it's another Alberta team uh, further down Highway 2, Jeff Chenoth, the uh, general manager of the Calgary Hitmen. Could be a great race between those two clubs. So we'll take a look at both of those uh, teams. First team out of the U.S. division, first team out of the Western Conference of the WHL, it's the Everett Silvertips. What do they do after having a really strong year last season? Obviously some changes. Every team's going to go through those changes. But an influx of new players coming to camp for everybody, and that's why we like to get the GMs on. They can really tell you what they're expecting, what they're looking for as camps are right on the right around the corner. So up next, Ross McLean, followed by the Edmonton Oil Kings, Calgary Hitman, and the Everett Silvertips team-by-team previews for the WHL. All of that next here on the Pipeline Show. Hi, it's Norris Seider from the Adler Mannheim of Germany. Zwei auf eins, Isis mit Seider und er macht sein erstes Deltor. 5-1, Mannheim, Moritz Seider. You're listening to the Pipeline Show. Betting to the middle, Mitchell grabs it, walks in on the backhand, shoots, and scores! These Spruce Grove Saints are excited to unveil their first ever hockey school. Taking place August 19th to 23rd right here at the Grant Fear Arena. Brought to you by Subway and Humpty's Restaurants of Spruce Grove. This one-week hockey school includes over 10 hours of on- and off-ice instruction from Saints coaching staff and current Saints players. Each camp participant will receive a camp jersey and a t-shirt to keep and have one on-ice and one off-ice session per day. Each day will have a specific focus to enhance the skating, shooting, and puck handling skills of each player. Both boys and girls of all levels of all experience are encouraged to come out and take part. To cap off the week, each group will have a Subway sub party with the Saints coaches up in the lounge. Visit www.sprucegrovesaints.ca to sign up for the Hockey School now. Click on the Hockey School tab on the right side of the page. You're listening to The Pipeline Show with... If one of y'all says some silly-ass name, this whole class is going to feel my wrath. Gee Flaming. Son of a bitch! This is Gee Flaming. You're listening to The Pipeline Show. And uh, the first guest of Season 15 is the same guy as the uh, final guest of Season 14. We re- uh, we previewed the Holinka Gretzky Cup uh, before the... Uh, one week vacation, and uh, now that we're back from vacation, time to get back to work. Let's recap the Holinka Gretzky Cup with a guy who was there, uh, and uh, welcome back, Ross McLean. Uh, Ross, uh, thanks for do- thanks for doing this. Thanks for going overseas and uh, watching that tournament for me, since I didn't get to see a single second of it while I was camping out in Saskatchewan. Uh, so, uh, welcome back to the show. First off, uh, how was the trip? 
It's great. You've got me kind of lost, though. I don't know what this word vacation means. <laughs> yes, I know. I take one week off. I come back, and I feel like I'm uh, way behind everybody else now. Uh, this tournament seemed like it sounds like it, it was uh, pretty entertaining. I, I tried to follow along as best I could, but I had really spotty Internet connections, so I was reading your tweets as you were watching the games. Uh, but I guess the biggest surprise for me, maybe not the biggest surprise, but Canada doesn't win. Uh, the Helenka Gretzky Cup. That doesn't happen very often. It was the Russians who come away with the gold medal. How'd they get it done? Well, I think anybody that saw them play at U-17s this year uh, knew that they weren't a team to be taken lightly. Uh, they definitely don't play a style uh, and didn't play a style in this event, similar to what we kind of expect Russians to play. There was no showboating. Um, they weren't very soft. They were a gritty, hardworking talented team that talent that we do expect from those high-end russian players was there and it was throughout their lineup but they they ran their lines really well uh, and they were a real team and they won this by being a, a very strong team full of very strong players well and i know the the big name uh, from the russian squad that's caught everybody's attention you talked about him before the tournament goaltender yaroslav askarov comes away with a, a buck 25 goals against average and a 960 save percentage uh, through the tournament, uh, getting into four games and winning that gold medal. Although, surprisingly, not named the player of the game uh, in that uh, final game against Canada. Uh, but everything you expected from him and maybe even more? Uh, absolutely. I've learned to kind of not know where to have him pegged yet because he just keeps getting better and better every single time you see him. He just does things that goaltenders don't do. He's so advanced. Uh, I mean, he's got elite pro-level qualities already in his game, and he does things that elite pro-level goalies now can learn from. Um, so, you know, the, the hype around this guy is real. He's got good size. He's athletic. He's mobile. Um, I just love the way he attacks pucks. He's a, a great puck tracker. Uh, his ability to make second and third saves, he's, just, he's always a step ahead. He has that mind that you would think of an elite playmaker always being a step ahead. He has that mind as a goaltender. He's always a step ahead of everybody else and just knows where to be when situations happen. Well, that sounds like an outstanding prospect. Uh, I'm looking forward to, to getting a chance to watch him. Now, he can't score any goals, and looks like uh, Alexander Passion was the guy to do that for Russia, ending the tournament with seven goals. Uh, tell me about his performance and if, uh, if who else from the Russian squad stood out for you. Uh, passion to me was, was the best forward in the tournament. Um, I, I was lucky enough to watch both pools play and traveled back and forth between Slovakia and the Czech Republic there to see, uh, them and every game passion brought it. And he just has this innate ability to always be where the puck's going to be. And his executions and his thinking are extremely fast. He was probably the most consistent forward offensively in the tournament. It's extremely quick. Uh, and again, and we talk about Askarov always being a step ahead. Passion's one of those players that, Again, always kind of seems to be a step ahead. He just creates opportunities from everywhere. Uh, not a big guy, five eight. Uh, he's listed at at least on the sheet that I'm looking at. But uh, one of those guys, you don't think size is going to be an issue? I don't think size is going to be an issue. If anything, his small size helps him. He is so slippery. He is so good at just finding those little spaces, and getting underneath guys, and executing in tight on them. He, he doesn't need any time to execute plays. He's not a guy that holds the puck forever. He's a guy when the puck comes to him, he already knows what to do with it. Well, we'll go from team to team, but before we leave the Russians, anybody else from that squad that uh, that caught your attention? There was several guys from that, that team that grabbed my attention. Um, I think one of the other bigger names on this team um, is Shakir Mukhamadoulin, which is always a fun name to say and always eats up all the Twitter characters, so hard to talk about all the time. <laughs> but uh, this guy, he was probably their best defenseman uh, during the event. He, he's got great size. Uh, he's a good shooting option. 
he matched up against uh, a lot of the opposing team's power forwards, including in the final against Byfield, where he did a really good job against him. He could do a little bit of everything, play in every situation, and his shot is is superb. He might have one of the best shots from the point in this draft class. Um, you know, beyond that, uh, Daniel Chaka, who's a late O2, um, was very, very good in this tournament. Um, saw a lot of major minutes for the Russians in crucial situations. And then up front, uh, Daniel Gushin, who's been very, very good in international play for the Russians for a few years now, um, has almost a Mikhail Granlund like skill set, a very good perimeter playmaker, very, very shifty, great instincts around the puck. Uh, and he played in all situations. He was extremely dangerous on, on the penalty kill. And then another guy that I hadn't really spent a whole lot of time watching that really kind of stood out for me from the Russians um, was Ivan Dudkovsky. And uh, he showed flashes of really, really good skill. Um, he was a real hard player to play against, drawing penalties, uh, maybe more of the typical Russian-style player, uh, a little bit soft on his feet at times, um, but definitely had some talent, knew where to go, uh, and made plays all tournament long. So, I mean, the list goes on for the Russians, but for me, those were, those were my big guys. All right, well, let's move to Canada. They come away with the silver medal, and that doesn't necessarily say they had a bad tournament because it uh, looks like through the round robin, they were blowing teams out of the water. Uh, Cole Perfetti uh, leads the team and the tournament in scoring with 12 points, but Hendricks Lapierre right behind him with 11 points. Those two guys, the best guys for Canada? They're up there. Um, certainly, you know, creating that offense and, and putting up points. The, the, their pool is not as strong as the other pool was, and I think the Russians did have the benefit of playing significant games the entire way through. I mean, even Slovakia, who finished the bottom of their pool, um, almost pushed Russia to defeat. So uh, every game Russia played in was very competitive. Um, whereas, you know, Canada had had blowouts and probably could have had a better game against uh, Finland. But the first game in the tournament, the Finns were definitely not ready especially with the younger lineup, which I'm sure we'll talk about in a minute. But, uh, you know, Perfetti, for as much attention um, as he got for obviously his heroics in the semifinal and, and the highlight reel goals, uh, he's perfectly capable of these, of, of these things. And it's really fun to watch. He's got this great skill set to him uh, and, and a, a very quick offensive thinker. Um, but he shows up in bursts. And that's kind of what I found during this event. It's what I found during the camp. It's what I found another time seeing him. Uh, it's not that he's lazy. It's not that he falls off. It's not that he's inconsistent. It's that he tracks the game very, very well. And really that clutchability of his is his biggest strength. He shows up when he needs to. Um, and that line uh, with LaPierre and Justin Sertif was, was very fun to watch. Uh, they created a ton, uh, but certainly they struggled a little bit uh, in the final when a Russian team was prepared for them. Um, Hendricks Lapierre uh, had a great tournament as well. Um, his ability to create with his stick is incredible. Uh, he is so smooth and intelligent with the puck, and he has electrifying hands that can really make defenders look absolutely ridiculous. So two very, very creative uh, offensive players um, that I do believe deserve a ton of credit in this tournament, um, but I think other guys outplayed them. Um, like passion on on Russia and didn't get the credit that these that these guys did. All right, very good. I know there was a lot of attention going into the tournament for Quinton Byfield, and uh, although the the scoring is well behind uh, Perfetti and Lapierre, uh, is it fair to say he had a good tournament? Quinton Byfield still coming away with three goals and five points. Yeah, I really liked him. He's a matchup nightmare. Um, great size. Obviously, the comparisons to Evgeny Malkin have started to come out, and he does. He has this real Malkin feel to his game. He's powerful. He's really good with the puck in tight to his body, uh, can spin around and protect the puck extremely well in small spaces. Um, but he goes to the net a little bit more than, than Malkin does, uh, and, and he makes a lot of things happen around the net. In this tournament, he was doing a really good job of 
finding space away from pucks and capitalizing on loose pucks on rebounds and coming in and winning space against defenders. And I think that's what's going to kind of be his bread and butter as he moves forward is being that guy that can be a possession guy around the outside. Uh, I don't think he has the playmaking instinct that, that Malkin has, um, but I think he has a little bit better of a net presence uh, than, than Malkin does. So he's still got some some room to sort of find himself, but I think he showed himself very, very well. I certainly was very impressed with uh, what he has to offer. I know you were looking forward to Jamie Drysdale, and he comes away leading uh, Canada's uh, defenseman in scoring with five assists. When it comes to offense from the blue line, it seems like he was the guy that was bringing it. Not a lot of offense from anybody else, but he lived up to your expectations, fair to say? I think he was the best player in the tournament. And uh, I don't think that that's a bold statement. I think uh, his skating ability, the way he reads the play, his instinct, uh, his leadership, he was exceptional. And exceptional on every shift. So reliable, so consistent. Uh, And, I mean, you watch him and you feel like you're watching a young Scott Niedemeyer. Um, his efficiency and his movements remind uh, me a lot of Duncan Keith and how he really changed defensemen in the way that he moves his feet and is, uh, and gets from point A to point B so efficiently. This guy has those abilities. I don't think enough people are talking about this guy. To me, if this guy here is in the top three conversation, I'm okay with it. I'm okay if my team says, hey, you know what? We need a we need a number one defenseman and goals after this guy first overall. I would not be disappointed in that. This guy is that good. This guy deserves that kind of credit as well. Uh, he can do everything. He's an absolute cornerstone defender. Wow! All right, high praise for uh, Jamie Drysdale. Um, I, now there are guys who didn't produce a lot of offense. Doesn't automatically mean they had bad tournaments. But I know you were looking forward to Connor McLennan. I'm surprised Jake Neighbors came away with no points in the tournament. Theo Rochette, another guy. No points in the tournament. Damon Hunt, no points. But did all these guys have bad tournaments, or how would you assess the play of some of them? I thought Jake Neighbors was actually one of Canada's best and most consistent players. Um, he played a role, and he did it extremely well. He was often on the ice against top players from other teams. Uh, was definitely the best 200-foot player on the team. Um, controlled the middle of the ice very, very well. Um, I still am kind of shocked that he didn't end up producing anything offensively, mm-hmm. but I think he... I think he adopted his role very, very well and was an extremely important piece for this Canadian team. Can that hurt a guy moving forward? Can can a guy like Jake Neighbors, who we know in the WHL he can put up numbers, but we also know that he's, we call him the Swiss Army Knife guy, can that hurt a guy moving forward where he maybe gets typecast as a more of a shutdown checking kind of guy? I don't think so. I mean, there are certainly situations where it could, but with him, I don't believe that that's a a factor. I don't believe that that's a concern. Uh, Obviously, you really like players that are versatile and that are willing to play a role on a team. And, you know, when you're talking about uh, teenagers and trying to project them for how good they're going to be in their mid-20s, knowing that a kid can make those sacrifices um, speaks a lot to character. And character is, no mistake, the penultimate trait that you want in a player. Uh, if the player does not have character, they're going to cause you problems. And this is a guy that's not going to cause you problems. He's going to fix a lot of problems for you. So I think his versatility, and certainly in his case and his with his skill set, uh, I don't think it hurts him at all. I think he really helped himself in terms of what he did in this event and showing that he's willing to do that and he can still be noticeable and an impactful player. Because I would rank him among the top three most impactful Canadian players in this tournament. Uh, Ross, there's a, a big player with the Windsor Spitfires, Will Cooley, I believe his name pronounced. You can correct me if uh, if that's incorrect, but uh, a guy with uh, lots of size already. Uh, how did he show in this tournament? Well, he was very interesting. He's a guy at U17s I loved because he, he played to his strengths, and his strengths are at the net front. Uh, he is 
type of player that uh, you want to basically move the puck and then go to some space and create some havoc. And this tournament, he didn't have an opportunity to do that as much, uh, but he did showcase a little bit of being able to cut to the middle and, and, and get shots off. Um, certainly in the final, I think the game plan was for them to try and get as many shots as they could early in the game. And he rushed a few shots that I would have liked to see him hold on to. Uh, the great thing here is that there's, there's a lot of, uh, a lot of work, a lot of mechanics still left to teach with him to make him uh, significantly uh, stronger in terms of the opportunities that he's able to create with the package that he has. But I mean, uh, as a net front presence, this guy has great hand-eye, uh, very, very good reactions around rebounds, and he knows how to screen goalies and obviously has the size to do so. So there's still a very intriguing, intriguing uh, package of skills there that, uh, that 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 he provides, and certainly he'll uh, he'll provide us with some some good banter over how to pronounce his name over the next little while too. <laughs> well, I'll have to get him on the show and uh, hear it from him uh, firsthand. Before we move on from Canada, anyone else you want to touch on before we go? I mean, there's lots of guys again on this team that, that we could, that we could touch on uh, yeah. a guy that, that really kind of stuck out and, and, and jumped out a little bit for me was Maverick Bork. I wasn't expecting him to stand out as much as he did. Um, especially when they had him playing a role, but, uh, but he did. Uh, let's move on to uh, the the uh, one of the host teams, the Czech Republic, uh, and uh, I know you were looking forward to seeing a couple of their players in particular. Uh, anybody that, uh, well, uh, Michael, and I'm going to butcher all of these names, so uh, Michael Gutt ends up uh, leading them in scoring with just four points, but what kind of a tournament did the Czechs have? The Czechs had a decent tournament. Uh, again, they were in, a, they were in uh, the... The, the pool that I would consider was a little bit weaker. Um, wasn't the strongest entry from from their group, uh, but certainly there were some good players on that team. Michael Goot was definitely their best player. Uh, and the only reason I know how to say his name is because they announced it a lot over the last speaker <laughs> in the Czech Republic. So um, he was the captain of the team. So he was a very slick and creative player. Uh, shoots very, very well. He's got really strong, explosive lateral cuts. Uh, he was standing up for teammates, showing really good leadership and character. Um, scored a great goal against Canada starting the third period where he crossed the line, fired a shot, tracked his own rebound, and uh, hammered home a rebound. Um, so this is a guy that I think shows a versatility and ability to adapt to play a European-style um, skill game, but also to play kind of those uh, games where it's a lot harder to win spaces in the middle. And, uh, so I, I really liked him. Um, there's a couple other guys in the check that, that, that showcased, but nobody was close to Goot in terms of... Uh, in terms of prospect status, uh, well, I know you were looking forward to. I want, and I'm going to butcher it again, but Deanne Mysack, uh, it, how how did he show? He was a little disappointing, I have to say. I don't really ever like to speak ill uh, of guys, but I was just expecting more. Um, I was I was really impressed with him at U17s. He showcased his ability to separate himself, and I just felt that this event he wasn't able to really demonstrate that. So I don't know if it was uh, you know missed development or if other guys have caught up to him. But he just never really stood out like I wanted him to stand out during this event. All right. How badly did I butcher that name? <laughs> I think it's pretty good. Okay. The Czech names are always hard because you get the accents on the letters, and we don't always get the accents on the letters when we come. So. All right. Well, I'm better with the Finns. I don't know why that is. But uh, the guy who ended up leading Finland in scoring was Roni Hervonen. But this wasn't necessarily a guy that was high on my uh, radar for guys to watch in this tournament. Atu Ratti and, and, and Brad Lambert. Uh, and even some of the guys, a couple of the guys playing in the WHL this year, in Casper Puccio and, and Jesse Seppala, uh, those guys were the guys on my radar. But uh, Hervinen ends up leading the team in scoring. Yeah, I, I, he was great in this tournament. I mean, he's a smaller player, 
great, excellent playmaking instinct, uh, very, very intelligent, great at creating from the perimeter, quick lateral cuts, identifies really well, uh, highly reactive, uh, was really good behind the net. He made a lot of plays happen from low to high, from below the goal line, uh, and just creates offense. Really competitive, has that real good stereotypical finish grit to him, uh, where, you know, even though he's smaller, he's not afraid to go anywhere to try and make a play. Uh, I had liked him before, but I, I really, really liked him during this event. I called him Brad Lambert. It's probably Brad Lambert, isn't it? I believe so, yeah. I wouldn't go with the French pronunciation, I wouldn't expect. but No, it's it's the Saskatchewan pronunciation. <laughs> That's right. Um, all right, well, tell me about uh, Lambert's uh, play in this event. He comes away with three goals, and uh, I know there's big expectations for him. This was the first time I got to see him play live, and I was super impressed. This guy is explosive. Um, as one of the younger players in the event, I think he might have even been the youngest player in the, in the event, or second youngest player in the event, uh, he did not look like it. He was an impact player for the Finns. He's got a great shot, uh, can shoot off the rush, is really smart around the net, has great offensive timing, very, very good instinct. Um, but his first few strides create separation that is really, really dangerous. And he has that elite level. To me, that explosive skating uh, is one of the biggest predictors uh, of success at the next level. I think this guy here has a really bright future. Well, he's not eligible until 2022, and uh, Raddy not until 2021. So is it a a bad sign for Finland right now that uh, some of their better players are underage guys? I don't think it's a bad sign. Um, You know, certainly it's always an interesting uh, interesting place to be put in. Uh, you know, we've seen it before. Uh, in your, I mean, if you look at Canada this year, Canada's top player is a, is a late birthday as well. Now, certainly there's a lot more players in Canada than there are in Finland, as there's a larger population in Canada than there is in Finland. But, uh, you know, I, I don't think it hurts them at all. Um, Raddy is, is certainly uh, mature. He doesn't look like he's uh, not eligible for this draft. He looks like he would be eligible for this draft. Um, but, uh, you know, for, for them, they still have they had a really good, they had good depth on their team. It just, they weren't always able to, to put it together. And uh, uh, I, I think they probably deserved a little bit better in some of the games that they played. But I, I would say pretty strongly that they were definitely the fourth best team in this tournament. All right. And Casper Pudio, I know you mentioned him a few times on Twitter as a guy who stood out to you during the games. First uh, player taken in the CHL import draft will play in Swift Current this year. What can Bronco fans expect from him? Well, I was really impressed with him this whole event. Um, Finland relied on him heavily. Uh, he's a very well-rounded defender. He was used in every single situation. He's got pretty good distribution skills that can certainly be improved, but are already quite good. Uh, great movement mechanics. Um, certainly has room to improve power, and I think the Western League is going to be a really good spot for him to develop uh, and play against to actually fit what he needs uh, as a player. So I think this is a guy who might not hit the ground running, but certainly it's going to develop into uh, a very reliable and I imagine well-liked defender for the Broncos. Ross McLean, independent scout and longtime contributor with uh, Hockey Canada over the last uh, decade or so. He's my guest here on the Pipeline Shows, recapping the Holinka Gretzky Cup. The other host team, Slovakia, uh, was it a forgettable tournament for Slovakia or did they show well? I think they showed really well. I actually, and, and I heard a few scouts uh, mention this, um, that it was probably one of the best Slovakian teams in this tournament in many years. Uh, they were a very quick, skilled team. Uh, they had some good depth, but they had some good players up front too. And they were in every game that they played. They could have beaten anybody. Uh, so this was a very competitive uh, and, and fun team to watch. 
the, the first game of the tournament um, that, that they played uh, against Sweden was an excellent game. It was a lot of fun to, to be in attendance for and watch. Um, they were led by Martin Kromiak, uh, who was Mr. Everything for them. And he was very, very impressive. I think he's a guy who threw his name on the radar big time um, for NHL teams. He's really patient, reads the game really well, moves really well, great quick, has a really good variety of release and balance points that he executes from, strong on his edges, and a really deceptively powerful shot. His ability to get his get the puck off and hard um, surprised a lot of goaltenders and defenders. All right, let's move on to Sweden. And uh, this is a team I think everybody's expecting them to to fare well in international uh, tournaments. And uh, this one, again, seemed like uh, they had some notable players. Zion Nybeck was the guy I think you had penciled in as uh, the must-watch player for, for Sweden in the tournament. Uh, how do you show? I don't think he lived up to expectations. And again, I don't like speaking ill of, of these guys, um, but he, he certainly didn't lead the team. There were other guys that stepped up. Um, and while he's the most experienced player uh, of the group and is kind of that third musketeer um, with the big guys, Holtz and Raymond, that weren't there, um, it wasn't his team. Other guys took total control of this team. Um, quite frankly, this team was as good as uh, their goaltender. And Jesper Wallstead, as good as Askarov was in this tournament, um, Wallstead was right there with him. And I think he proved that in the, the semifinal game against Canada. Um, the Canadian team was a significantly stronger team than, than the Swedish team. Um, but Wallstead made that game close and the fact that it could have gone either way and it took Paul Perfetti's heroics uh, to stop him. But this is a guy that deserves a ton of credit. Uh, I had watched him before and definitely saw that there was something, but in this event, he had taken a big step forward. Uh, he's very calm. He's composed. He's big in the net, takes up space well, got really good, strong angles, uh, depth control, he's a very good puck tracker, and he controls the game really well from the crease. He's the kind of goalie that inspires confidence when he's in the net. And as a coach, uh, that's certainly probably the, the penultimate skill you'd want from a goaltender uh, is the fact that when they're in there, you don't have to worry about it. And I really got that feeling with him during this event, maybe even more than Askarov at times. So he was certainly a guy um, through this event that I think maybe pushed his stock uh, extremely high. Uh, Wallstead not uh, eligible again until uh, 2021. So some of the under underage players uh, performed very well in the tournament. Notable name for the other goaltender for the Swedes, Kelly Klang. If you're a goaltender, that's a that's the sound you like to hear is uh, uh, ringing <laughs> off the post. Uh, how do you play? Because his numbers are actually pretty good. Buck 50 goals against and a 9.53 save percentage. Did you get a look at him? Yeah, I got a look at him. Um, I, I, certainly, I think Wallstead was the stronger of the two, and sure. I think he proved that in terms of how, how he was uh, how he was used in the event. But Klang's another goalie that is uh, there's, a, there's some potential there. Uh, he moves well, has really good athleticism. Um, I'd like to see him maybe track pucks into saves a little bit better, but that's something there's, there's very fixable flaws uh, in his game, and that's kind of what you like to see in goaltenders at, at this age. When, when you have guys that there's nothing to fix, it's hard to project them as being much better than they, than they already are. So um, there's certainly a lot to work with with Klang, uh, and, and there's a good base there. And a great name for a goalie. Uh, if it wasn't Nybeck leading the way offensively for Sweden, who was it this year? Well, to me, their whole offense and really everything came from um, a defender. It came from Emil Andre. Um, he was not only their best defender, but I think he was their best transitional player and their best offensive uh, option. Um, he's smaller, but I wouldn't call him too small. He's very mobile. He's aggressive. He's got great reads, strong anticipation, skates the puck very well. And he was the guy that set everything up off the power play. He was the guy that was Mr. Everything for them. Um, and... Uh, 
he was the real playmaker on the team. He was the real guy that, that was the engine that, that drove them to, to scoring goals. Um, probably the best player in terms of being their, their finishing option uh, was Daniel Torgerson. Uh, and he's more of a complimentary player. He's big power forward, good scoring instincts, got pretty good hands for his size, good at finding room away from pucks to be an option, uh, but really good release on his shot. He's the kind of guy that doesn't need a lot of room to get a shot off. Uh, so if you give him a nice little quick one-timer pass, he's going to hammer it and usually places it very, very well and follows plays to the net well. And he's got that size where he's, he's hard to handle around the net. So he was a guy that uh, I certainly liked um, that could be a, a, compliment, a complimentary player. Um, but uh, Andre really, really impressed me in terms of his ability to actually take control of the team uh, and, and lead the play for them. Switzerland uh, did not fare well in the tournament, only scored three goals in the entire event. Fair to say this was a disappointment for them? Yeah, I, absolutely. Um, I, they actually had some pretty good talent on their team. Um, I know just in watching the games, I was kind of left scratching my head with some of the decisions that they made. Uh, they often shortened their bench in the third period uh, and, and really kind of left guys, uh, really rode guys that you know maybe did one or two good things. They started riding them more and more and more. Uh, and those guys were, were exposed later because they were, they were just getting outworked because they were getting tired. Um, and every game, it seemed to be somebody different. Uh, and, you know, this was a team that wasn't able to manufacture a ton of, of good quality scoring opportunities. And uh, there's some talent there that you could see could do it, uh, but they just didn't have the structure to be able, to, and the chemistry maybe, uh, to be able to do it. And I don't know if it's fair to put that blame on the coaches or, or not, or, you know, if this was just a case of a group of players that just didn't necessarily mesh very well. I know there was one guy in particular you were looking forward to watching. I forget which player you had singled out. Well, there's, there's a few guys on this team um, that I had known and, and liked uh, before going into it. Uh, Noah Delamont, who, who was a high pick in the import draft, was certainly one of the guys that I wanted to watch. Um, and he he really struggled in this event. Um, he is a player that loves the puck, wants to hang on to it, and is high risk. And when he didn't have the support options, uh, ended up running himself into a lot of trouble. Uh, certainly the skill is impressive, and there's a lot to work with there. And I think he's going to develop into a very, very strong uh, player. And he's exciting when he, when he can pull off some of the moves that he's capable of doing. Um, but in a short-term competition in an event like this on a team that was struggling for offense, um, his risk was not rewarded very often. Um, one of the other players that I was really looking forward to uh, watching in this event was Stefano Patini, um, mostly because he came over to Canada to work with me before uh, going to the uh, camp, and he, and he made the team. And uh, I was really impressed with how he showed him, showcased himself uh, during the event, but was often kind of, as, as, as a new guy on the team, was often uh, one of the, uh, the guys in the late in the late stages of the game that was, was left on the bench quite a bit and okay. wasn't able to get a shot off, still needs to kind of develop uh, physically a little bit more, but there's some really good long-term potential with him. Um, but I think probably the, again, another team that the, the best players, um, most consistent players on this team that I liked um, were underage players. Uh, Noah Meyer, uh, a late 2 uh, showed some really good uh, flashes of uh, puck rushing ability and intelligence. Uh, still has a lot of room to kind of maybe improve his consistency and be a little bit more reliable defensively, but has some real good confidence around the puck and, and can do so in all three zones. And that probably the player that I was the most impressed with on the Swiss team was 2003 uh, Dario Sidler, small, smooth, mobile defenseman. Got in the way, his size didn't seem to matter at all. Like this kid was a pit bull. He went after everything and he could rush the puck, distributed it well. Uh, and I think that there's, there's something there with him. All right, last team to touch on uh, would be the Americans, and uh, it seemed like it was just a kind of an average tournament 
for the U.S. I know some of the players that we talked about as uh, potential leading scorers for them, they, they got some points, but really was didn't seem, statistically speaking, like it was a, a, a notable event for the U.S. when they finished fifth or sixth. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they, they finished sixth, losing the Czech Republic in the fifth place game. Um, there was some talent there, but certainly um, there, was, there was a pretty wide variation on this team. Obviously, some guys that hadn't played at a level like this before. Um, so a good learning experience for some of them. Uh, but there was definitely there were some guys there. There were some guys that uh, definitely threw themselves on the radar. Uh, the captain, uh, Jake Ratzlaff, was outstanding. Um, this is a kid I'm surprised isn't on the isn't on the national development team program. He's, he's very very good. Um, excellent instincts, reads the game very well. Great overall skill set. Very well rounded, intelligent player with mobility. Great pace to his game, and really quick, smart, reliable decision making. Um, I, I was very, very impressed with this guy, and this is a guy that I could see um, finding his name on, on on the first round of the draft board if he continues to develop uh, and showcase the game um, the way that he did at, at this event. Wow, six three already as well, so he's got the size for sure. Uh, anybody else from the U.S.? I know we threw out names like Cross Annis you were looking forward, and Ryan Kerwin, and I asked about Blake Biondi. How how players like that uh, show themselves in the Helenka Gretzky this year? Well, I was actually pretty impressed with Blake Biondi. Um, he's got kind of an Alex Tuck feel to his game. Okay. Uh, he's got good size, uses it well in contested spaces. doesn't make a ton happen on his own from the outside. Um, but when you put him in the slot and below, uh, he can really make things happen without a whole lot of help. You throw the puck to him in those areas, he can drive the net very well. And he's got really good hands uh, and tight to the net. Uh, he showed that a lot. He was a real hard matchup for guys around the net. Just finds little gaps in coverage all the time. Uh, so definitely the type of player that can power his way to the net. But, you know, if you can put the puck to the net when he's already there, odds are he's going to make something happen. Threw a couple big hits in corners uh, as well. Wore down some defenders. Uh, so he was a likable player, the kind of guy you know you kind of like having on your team, uh, certainly. Um, probably the guy I was the most impressed with uh, from the forward side from them was Marcus Dappa. Um, he was just a really good 200-foot player, played hard, played aggressive, had good instinct, highly intelligent, above-average offensive thinker, but not overly flashy or creative, just kind of gets the job done using kind of good compete and, and intelligence and certainly wasn't an easy player to play against. Tons of stick battles that he was winning um, in the middle of the ice and along the boards. So he was a player that I really liked. And another defenseman off the team that uh, certainly hit the radar for me was Wyatt Kaiser. Yep. Uh, he jumped out more than once. He's a pretty good transitional skater, quick reads, good instincts. Uh, I really liked his ability to surround contested pucks, so it was really hard to to beat him uh, in corner battles and, and make plays quickly on puck pursuits. Uh, just a good ability to create separation, uh, wins pucks, and, and, and gets plays started for his team. Uh, so he was just the, a guy that, uh, especially as the tournament progressed, I started to like him more and more. I started to kind of show a little bit every single game. So I think he was gaining confidence. I think he was enjoying the level of play and the style of play and, and started to catch up to the pace and started to show things. So, that's a guy that I uh, certainly circled that I want to see and track uh, what his progression's like this year. Overall, the goaltending story uh, was Yaroslav Askarov, but uh, Jesper Wallstead showing really well. Of the other goaltenders in the tournament, who immediately comes to mind is uh, a guy who had a good one? Uh, I really liked both Canadian goaltenders, uh, Dylan Guerin and uh, Tristan Lennox. I, Tristan Lennox is really growing on me. Uh, there's a confidence there. Um, that isn't always necessarily consistent yet, but I think it's going to get there. And he's got almost a Matt Murray feel to me uh, in, in where his development path is going to go. 
uh, and uh, I, I, I've been hot and cold on him, but I, I got to say, he's just a guy that is certainly definitely on my I like him side. And I want to keep following him as he goes this year because I think I really think that he's got the potential if he keeps developing. And, and again, he's a guy, as I, I mentioned before, has some has some obvious flaws as a goaltender, which when you're looking at a teenage goaltender, that's a good thing. It's not a bad thing. So the fact that you can look at him and see that he can play at the level that he can play at and there's still a lot to do and fix, um, I really like. So I'm pretty excited about uh, Tristan Lennox. And, and Dylan Grant, I, his compete is outstanding. Highly athletic. Um, he was very, very good in this tournament. Obviously, you know, people look at the numbers in the, in the final um, and, you know, want to say that, oh, you know, they only had 13 shots and they got three goals. You, you got to understand the quality of the Russian shots. Russia was setting up their shots. These were, he did not have an easy save in that final. Um, Askarov had a lot of easy saves in the final because the Canadians were shooting from the outside a lot early in the game um, to try and get pucks to the net. And he had a lot of saves that weren't that difficult. He had a lot of difficult saves as well, especially later in the game. Um, but, uh, you know, certainly I think Dylan Garan needs a little bit more credit than he's been given um, in terms of his ability and, and his performance during this event. Before we wrap it up, anybody that we haven't touched on already that you think deserves some recognition? Uh, a couple guys that just sort of hit my radar. Um, Switzerland's Jocelyn Dufay. Um, good size, emerging power forward potential, thinks the game well. Um, Slovakia, uh, Jan Lasik was a player that I wanted to watch a little bit more. Um, he had a bit of an up-and-down tournament, but he was pretty calculated, quite opportunistic, showed some flashes of strong skill, uh, but really does need to kind of work on his consistency, um, get a little bit stronger. Um, and then, I mean, I could talk about every Canadian player. There was, there was a lot there. Certainly Connor McLennan, um, showed some different skills in this event. He was a super pest, um, which surprised me. Um, you know, wasn't used in offensive situations a ton, but this was a guy in the final, uh, you know, one of my favorite moments of the final was as Askarov was stymieing them over and over and over again. Uh, McLennan just kind of snuck in after the play and stood at the top of his crease and just barked at him for a good 10 seconds and Askarov just turned his back on him and ignored him but that's that was the role that he took he was identifying those opportunities to get under guy's skin and trying to play that role for the team and so you know at times there's an emotional line that you want to see guys walk um, and I think he was learning that but there are times also where you really like it when a guy goes and has that little element of gamesmanship so um, that was kind of fun to watch too awesome we'll watch for that when he's playing with the Winnipeg Ice uh, this year. Ross, as always, terrific job, uh, and uh, I hope you don't mind if I call you uh, more often this season as uh, the 15th season of the Pipeline show goes forward. Please do. I think the only guy whose voice I like hearing more than my own is yours. That's Ross McLean, longtime scout, longtime contributor to the Pipeline show, and obviously a, a very big weirdo with that last comment. <laughs> uh, always love having him on the show, though, and look forward to having him on the program more often this coming season. Let me know what you thought of his uh, assessment of the Helenka Gretzky Cup. Again, I didn't get to see a second of it. I was uh, in Cypress Hills in uh, southern Saskatchewan between Swift Current and uh, Medicine Hat, enjoying a little downtime with uh, extended family. And our internet connection was uh, not up to snuff, so I could not watch any of the games. Certainly, I could barely follow along with what was happening over the course of the week. It sounded like... Um, Canada, as I was, until I spoke with Ross, it sounded like Canada was crushing their pool and the Russians were pretty good on their side and then they ended up meeting in the final But uh, and Russia winning that. 
but really tough to tell about uh, personal individual performances by players. So great to get the rundown and the recap from Ross McLean. All right, let's get to it. We're going to kick off 22 individual team-by-team WHL previews. All 22 clubs will be represented. We're going to speak with uh, most often. It'll be the general manager. Sometimes it'll be the coach. In a few cases, that's the same guy. But we're going to do that uh, hard and heavy for the next five weeks leading up to the WHL's regular season as the CHL opens uh, for business the weekend of uh, the September 20th weekend. The Oil Kings' uh, first couple of games are the 21st and 22nd. And the reason I mention the Oil Kings, they're the first team up this year. General Manager Kurt Hill previews the Edmonton Oil Kings for the 2019-20 season next here on the Pipeline Show. I'm Trey Fitzwilanski of the Edmonton Oil Kings. At his own blue line now, Fitzwilanski cutting in right circle. Dances around his man to his backhand. Forehand, he scores! Oh my goodness, Trey Fitzwilanski. What a move, what a shot. What a goal. Oh, mama. And this is the Pipeline Show. Nothing compares to the smile on a child's face after their wish has been granted. The Rainbow Society of Alberta is dedicated to granting wishes throughout the province to children who have been diagnosed with a life-threatening or severe chronic medical illness. And you can help too. View the wishes, refer a child, and donate at rainbowsociety.ab.ca or get involved as a volunteer. Having a wish come true fills a child's heart with hope and happiness. Visit rainbowsociety.ab.ca today. You're listening to The Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming. We know each other. He's a friend from work. We're back on the Pipeline Show, and uh, this time of year we always do it. Uh, we have the season previews for each individual team, and up to this point over the course of the last, uh, well, this is season 15 now, uh, we've always done these se- season previews with the play-by-play guy for the respective team. Changing it up a little bit this year, and this year we're going to go with either the GM or the head coach. For some teams, that will be the same guy, uh, but uh, this year... Uh, with the uh, Edmonton Oil Kings uh, fresh out of the hopper, the first team up this year. That means uh, General Manager Kurt Hill is my guest. Uh, Kurt, welcome back to the Pipeline Show. How are you? I'm doing great, Guy. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Fresh off vacation, ready to get going, and uh, the batteries are recharged. How about for you? Yeah, exactly. No, it's been a it's been a good summer. Obviously, uh, lots going on with everything. When you get through the the NHL draft and the import draft, there's always uh, lots of conversation. But a good summer. We'll get a little family time in, and now. Uh, it seems like uh, training camp has come real quick. All right. Well, uh, yeah, as we're speaking right now, the training camp, uh, what, a couple of weeks away. Um, so things are getting pretty close uh, to getting back into the rink full-time here shortly. As we'll, we'll start with this, uh, the, the best way to look at this year's, this coming to season's team is uh, by looking at last year's uh, team and who's not coming back. Uh, your team will, as all teams do, uh, be without three overage players. For you, that was... Quinn Benjafield, Vince Laschiavo, and, and Andrew Fighton, But there's probably some other guys uh, that won't be back either, most notably. Are you expecting Trey fix Molanski back this season at all, or do you move forward like he's gone? Yeah, we're moving forward like he's gone. Trey's going to go. Uh, he's not going to come to camp either. He's going to down to Columbus early, and uh, I think his uh, obviously his 
mindsets in pro hockey right now, and uh, that's where we totally expect him to be. I think Columbus is quite happy with where he's at in his development, and I think he's going to get some good opportunity there. All right. Well, who else isn't back from uh, last year's roster that you know of for sure? Uh, Zach Russell's not coming back. He's going to go and play in uh, Salmon Arm this year. Mm -hmm. Uh, So he would have been another 20-year-old this season. And then we made the move, moving uh, Will Warm to Victoria. So Will won't be back. And then uh, the only other guy is Andre Pavlenko. Yeah, Andre Pavlenko uh, let go before the import draft. And uh, we'll get to the import players in a second. Uh, But those players are the ones that... uh, You'll have to fill the void left by those guys on the roster, and I'm sure some of that will come uh, internally. Uh, let's go to the 20-year-old situation for this club. I believe, uh, even though Fix Molanski, you expect he's not back, uh, there will be, what What do you have right now, like five guys uh, as 20-year-olds? So yeah, a bit bit of work to do there. That would be including uh, Trey uh, in that five, but Parker Gavlis, Connor McDonald, Dylan Miskew, and Riley Sawchuk uh, that you acquired from the Tri-City Americans. Yeah, you know, I think it's, uh, we still really was taking care out of that equation. We got four there and, you know, it's a good opportunity for guys to come into camp and uh, compete for positions. It's still, uh, you know, there's still some decisions to make, um, with who, who we're going to keep there in the 20 year olds. And a lot of that's going to come down to camp and how guys compete. And, um, a little bit's going to come down to, a lot's going to come down to what we decide to do in net as well. We got, uh, you know, Miskew, Scott and, uh, Sebastian Costa now who's 17 and, you know, he went back to midget as a 16-year-old last season, and he's a guy that, uh, you know, if he comes a good comes and has a good camp, he's a he's a real high-end prospect that we have in net that uh, mm-hmm. we need to start getting into some games. All right, well, we'll look closer at the goaltenders in a couple of minutes, uh, but we'll go from the 20-year-old situation to the uh, import players. And uh, for you, uh, Vlad Alistrov returns for his second season with the Edmonton Oil Kings, and your new import player, Jesse Seppala of uh, Finland. We just saw him in action at the Holinka Gretzky Cup. What can you tell us about him? How much did you know about him before you selected him? And uh, what what sort of an impact do you think he can make with your club this year? Yeah, we got to Jamie Porter, our head scout, and myself got to see Jesse play at the under-17s last year in St. John's, and we really, really liked his tournament down there. He's a he's a real strong 200-foot player. Um, you know, he's got a lot of skill to his game. He's, his hockey sense is off the charts. Like, I think he's got a real high hockey sense, and... He's really going to be, I think, one of the biggest things about him, too, is I think he's going to acclimatize nicely to the North American game just with, you know, the way the Finns play. I think they play a little bit more of a North American style, and he's completely fluent in English as well. So hmm. we're getting a guy that, you know, he's not – I don't think he's going to have as much of that, you know, culture shock coming over here and, and learning because he doesn't know the language and that. So I think he's going to acclimatize a little bit a little bit quicker. But uh, with any player coming into the league, no matter what age they are, there's always learning curves in that. So I think – you know, the first kind of half of the season, you gotta, you gotta let guys get comfortable and start to feel it out. I mean, it's smaller ice for him now, but, uh, yeah, he's a guy that, uh, you know, we think is gonna fit into our group well. He can play both center and the wing. So I think with that, uh, we'll see what he, what he brings when he comes to camp and how quickly he can get, uh, comfortable in the North American game and we'll go from there. Speaking of the language barrier, I mean, that was something for Vlad last year. Uh, Alistrov wasn't, uh, uh, really well versed in English uh, when he first came over, but you had Andre Pavlenko here, a fellow countryman for him, and so it was a, a decent uh, fit and probably aided in that transition for Vlad. Without Andre here now, is that a, a concern at all? No, you know, Vlad uh, spent a lot of time last year doing ESL uh, courses while he was here, um, so I think that helped him a lot. He went home and did some courses uh, 
through a family member in Belarus as well this summer, learning English a little bit more. So, um, you know, the conversations I've had with him, he's, you know, he's come up such a long way over the course of the year with his communication and speaking now. So I don't think, uh, that's going to be an issue whatsoever. All right. Well, that's good to hear. Kurt Hill is the general manager of the Edmonton Oil Kings. Uh, my guest here on the pipeline show as we preview the coming season, maybe a training camp preview as we're uh, the first team out of the hopper this year, the Edmonton Oil Kings. All right. Let's uh, look at the uh, players who are coming to camp and we'll start in net, uh, with the goaltenders. Uh, you mentioned, uh, uh, several that you have, uh, really High-quality goaltenders in the system, Dylan Miskew, Todd Scott, Sebastian Kosa. I wonder, is Carter Guylander uh, still in the mix? So would he come to camp? I know he's NCAA committed, but uh, I think he's still expected to play for the, uh, locally here with the Sherwood Park Crusaders, so uh, wouldn't be out of his way to be able to come to camp. And I know he works in the offseason with uh, with Curtis Muka a lot as well. Is Carter Guylander going to be in camp? Uh, at this point, we don't expect Carter to be in camp. He's uh, with... You know, he got selected in the NHL draft, obviously, by Detroit. So I think there is a, there's some plans there for, with that selection for him to, you know, spend a little bit more time and, and, and go that college route and get, have more time for them to make a decision on him also. So I, I don't expect him to be in camp, no. All right. So we'll see Todd Scott and Dylan Miskew and, and Sebastian Kosa. And I don't know if there's another goaltender that, uh, that I'm forgetting about that'll be in camp and pushing for a, a roster spot. Not enough room for all three of them. I don't think a team wants to carry three goaltenders. So I don't know if you have a plan already that you can't share publicly or not. Or do you go into camp and say, all right, two guys fight it out and uh, we'll deal with the third guy later? Yeah, I think he, there's got to be that element of compete in camp. So I think for all of our players, it's, uh, you know, year over year, they gotta, they gotta put the work in the summer and, and they gotta come to camp with the, with the right mindsets. It's, you know, it's a new group this year. It's a lot of it's going to be similar to last year with the coaching staff and and obviously the the culture that we've brought here to, with kind of the new regime. But at the same time, you know, we put a lot of expectations on the players to go home and have a good summer. So uh, it's kind of been the message that was delivered to the goaltenders, and you know, they got to come to camp and and we'll we'll go from there. We saw how quickly things can change. I mean, last year you went into camp, Dylan Miskey wasn't part of the team, and uh, circumstances changed quickly, and you had to go out and, and make an adjustment that really paid off in the long run. Um, so it doesn't really matter, I guess, to some extent, what the roster looks like at the start of camp. Things can change really quickly. You had to react like that uh, last season. Yeah, I think with, it's, it's a, with injuries and everything, too, it's uh, with how much guys train and how it's become a – you know, it's full. It's a full time thing for these guys now. If they want to, you know, you want to be the best in your craft. And you want to really try to make it to the next level. So, it's um, you know a strong, a long summer of training. You come to camp. Camp can be tough sometimes. Injuries can happen. So, um, having an extra guy or whatever it may be, if we're having three in camp, uh, we saw what happened last year. We had four here, and we ended up with ended up with one pretty quickly. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I know it's it's not a bad thing. And we still have our two prospect goaltenders will be coming to camp, and uh, that's. Uh, Colby Knight and Colby Hay with the 03 and the 04 there. So they should come and, uh, they're both highly regarded by our staff as well. All right. And for fans who haven't had a chance to watch Sebastian Kosa, uh, yet, um, this is a guy, in your opinion, ready to make that step to the WHL this year? Yeah. Sebastian had a good year last year in, uh, Fort Saskatchewan. You know, he was a part of the under 17 program last year. He, uh, he had a few injuries last season that, you know, maybe held him back a little bit at times, but, uh, second half of the year, he was good. He was good in the playoffs for them again. Um, you know, this guy, he's really big. He's six, six over 200 pounds. Like he covers a lot of net and he moves really well for a big guy. So, you know, it's, uh, it, it, it's his responsibility to continue working on his development and putting the work in. But 
Um, you know, from from a projection standpoint, he looks like he's uh, going to be a guy that's going to be able to compete in the league. Kurt, uh, it's a real blessing when a team can return a, a large chunk of their defensive core, and uh, the Edmonton Oil Kings are definitely in that situation. Uh, in fact, going to be returning more than uh, six defensemen uh, from last year's team, even despite the uh, the trading of Will Warmaway. Still got Connor McDonald, Parker Gallus, we mentioned as overage players, Wyatt McLeod, Ethan Cap, Matthew Robertson, just drafted by the New York Rangers. How about Jackson Alexander, who only got into a handful of games last year, but uh, a really solid player. You've still got Aiden Lawson, Logan Dohaniak is ready to take on a bigger role, Keegan Slaney in the mix now. you got a lot of defensemen coming to camp. Yeah, you know, it's never a bad thing to have a lot of D. Again, it's, it's one true. of those positions last year. It was, it was, geez, it was, we were in November, and that's part of the reason we had to, we made the Parker Gavlis trade is because we got so injured on the back end. We had him and Slaney. Slaney was playing, you know, he was in the games, and we had Gavlis, and we had to acquire. I think lots of times we only had five D that month in the lineup. So, you know, it's never a bad thing to have lots of D come into camp. Um, but it's definitely a strong, looking at our lineup, it's a real strong point of our organization right now. And, um, again, it's lots of experience back there. We like the core. We like the guys that are back there. They, they skate well. They move the puck well. And they've all been within our system. They know what's going on. So it's um, lots of competition to be had at camp, too. And, you know, we got some old guys and we got some younger guys knocking on the door. So it should be, it should be fun watching how, how good summers these guys had and let them compete it out. Um, I believe you have a player named Austin King Cunningham who has signed a WHL uh, contract that you listed. Is is he in the mix at all? Uh, Austin at this point is going to go back and play in Esteban. So okay. he would not be at, at this point unless something, you know, never say never. He might decide he wants to come to camp at this point. Uh, he's going to go play in Esteban. Okay, very good. When you're looking at those defensive players, um, I mean, it's so hard to move up and down within that group because of uh, how many returning guys there are. But are you expecting much bigger contributions from some of those guys like Aiden Lawson and Dohaniak and, and Slaney that uh, were sprinkled in throughout the, the roster last year, uh, maybe played you know half the games. Could they be full-time players this season? Well, I think naturally you gotta you, you hope that they are. Like they gotta come, they gotta have good summers. But when you're when you start to be 17 in the league, um, 18 years old. I mean, those you got to kind of be full-time guys, or or it's tough. It's difficult to play. So um, we're hoping that they all kind of take that next step. And mm-hmm. like we said, though, we have a we have a pretty deep group up there. Um, we have a, a strong leadership group on our back end as well that contributes a lot to our group. So those guys again, it refers back to kind of how they come into camp, what kind of attitude they have, and if um, they're ready to take that next step. Lots of with how many guys we got going to NHL camps this year, our training camp. A lot of our younger players are going to play a lot. They're going to get a lot of ice time. All those exhibition games, um, these guys are going to be top pairs in those games, and they're going to get that opportunity to to have those big minutes in those games and really prove to the coaching staff where they're at. That's something I should have asked. How many players will uh, be going to NHL camps? I think right now we're at nine. Nine guys. And are you able to list them off the top of your head? Uh, We have um, Cope, Williams, Keeler, Alistrov, Robertson, McLeod, Cap, McDonald. All right, yeah, that is uh, a significant chunk of your your roster. Almost half your uh, active roster will be uh, heading uh, to NHL camp. So a good opportunity for players to to come into camp and and get those uh, early uh, exhibition game uh, experiences. And I guess maybe you, you'll be carrying a, a slightly bigger group than uh, a little bit longer into camp than perhaps you normally would have. Yeah, you know, I think majority a lot of the time, you know, the players that. Uh, are signed and 
have the op- we want them to have the opportunity to play in exhibition games. They they usually stay through that first weekend of exhibition games as it is. So at that point, we would a lot of them will probably stay, and um, some of the younger guys that were drafted last year. And that after that point, uh, we'll see what our numbers are at. And um, before we go up to Dawson Creek, we might have to keep some extra guys, but it just depends how long guys stay at NHL camps at that point. All right. Well, up front is where uh, most of the holes are that you have to fill because of uh, the overage players and, and Trey Fix-Wolanski not expected back, as you mentioned, Zach Russell and, and Andre Pavlenko. So a lot of your forwards from last year, uh, they're uh, moving on, uh, but you have the players coming in and guys who were further down the depth chart uh, last year who can step up and, and take on a bigger role. Right now, when you look at it, do you have a, a clear sense of what your expected, say, top six is going to look like this year? I mean, who are your, your guys you're going to lean on up front? Yeah, you know, I think it's uh, there's going to be lots of guys that have that opportunity to step up. I mean, up front, you know, we saw Chuck's going to be a guy that we brought in to play the middle. We were kind of weak in that area, I thought, in our top six. So he's going to he's going to be a guy that we brought in that's a real strong 200-foot player that uh, – We'll bring a lot of character to our team, and he scored 20 goals in Tri-Cities last year as well. So he's a guy that has a really good shot. Mm. Um, and then, you know, there's a lot of guys that have that opportunity now and have to take that next step in their career. You know, you got Jake, who had a tremendous playoff run last year, neighbors, so he's got to take that next step. David Cope got it going the second half of the season last year. I think he's had a real strong summer, so he's going to be a guy that, again, with a lot of those departures, has to take that step up. And then you kind of go, you start looking at our O one one group where – we're really strong in that group, and all those guys are 18-year-olds now. So you got, you know, Alistrov, his second year in North America, uh, had a re- really good season last year, up to close to 40 points. Um, Josh Williams, who we got in the Kemp deal, um, you know, he had a good season last year for a 17-year-old player, and now needs to take those numbers to the next step as an 18-year-old. Carter Such, I mean, I don't think a lot of people thought, thought Carter was going to have the year he had last year, and um, up over 40 points. And, you know, he's a guy that just seems to keep getting better and growing, so... Another guy you look at, and then you know your other centermen. You got Keeler and Atkinson, both guys um, really good seasons last year again in kind of a secondary role. So those guys got to step up, and now they're playing in top six, top nine, where they're going to be relied upon a lot more. And uh, then you got Gunther coming in, who mm-hmm. as a 16 year old, yeah, at first overall pick, yeah, you got to be patient with those guys sometimes, or sometimes they just come in and they and they do some special things. So we'll see where where Dylan's development's gone. I know we had a really good under-17 camp, so really exciting time there. And uh, and then Jalen Lupin coming back. And, and Loops had a good year last year as a 16-year-old player, close to 15 points, and was a really a utility guy that played up and down our lineup. So that kind of gives you an overview, I think, of where we're at before we start talking about new players like Seppala, um, a little bit of an unknown um, where he's going to fit into the lineup. But it's a really uh, an exciting group to look at because there's, there's so much opportunity for these guys to take that next step, and it's amazing how far a player can come a year in their development when they go from 17 to 18. Well, and that that's the big thing, right, with the, with junior hockey is that natural progression. Sure, from you know, for a fan, a casual fan might look at the last year's roster and say, oh, well, my, they're losing half their forwards. They're really going to struggle. But it's a natural progression for everybody to take on a, a bigger role this season after with a, another year under their belt and every team goes through it. So it's, it's not like it's only impacting just the Edmonton Oil Kings. But when you mentioned uh, Dylan Gunther and what he played eight games last year and didn't look out of place uh, at all, you don't want to set the bar of expectation too high for a guy like that. And Jake Neighbors is a good example, really high pick who came in and he had some injuries along the way, but was a pretty good contributor for you. But you don't want the, the fan base necessarily expecting they're going to lead your team in scoring either, despite 
at that young age, he also didn't look out of place uh, last year as a, as a, playing as a full timer as a sixteen year old. Yeah, no, I don't. I mean, Jake had a good season last year, and it's a tough first year in the league at sixteen. It's really hard. Like it's it's a long season compared to what guys are used to and where they're coming from, and and then you start to think about the pressure that's put on these kids. And for Dylan, I mean, he's a local kid. He's going to have a little bit of that with him too, but. Uh, He's got, he's a pretty level-headed guy and, you know, he's got a lot of, a real high work ethic. He really loves the game. So, you know, we're excited for what, what he's going to bring to our group. And, but as mentioned, it's kind of that when you bring a 16 year old in, you can't set the bar extremely high for them because they need time to adjust to the league. They need to try time to adjust to the, our coaches systems and everything that we're going through in that standpoint as well. So, um, no question. He's a special player. He's got a great shot. He's got great hockey sense, but, uh, you know, a little bit of an unknown that right now, how, how the season's going to go, but, uh, we're expecting him to be, um, a big part of our group. A few guys who, uh, saw a little bit of ice time last year, uh, that you would expect it to be challenging for those, uh, depth positions this year. Guys like Tyler Horseman and Kobe Verbicki, we saw sprinkled in along the way. Uh, what other types of players like that might the Oil King fans see just coming into camp and looking to, to earn a, an extended look? Or, uh, one of those depth positions on the team this year? Yeah, you know, there's lots, we have lots of guys coming to camp. There's, uh, there's great opportunity for, for kind of rookie players this year to, to have, uh, impact in camp and earn themselves a spot. I mean, another, another player we have that would have played games last year, but due to injury, he wasn't able to was Raphael Pelche, who played with Gunther at NEX. Mm-hmm. Um, he's a draft pick of the team. Um, as you mentioned, Verbicki's going to be back at camp. We've got the opportunity to play a few games in December last year. Um, so getting those guys back and a little bit of that experience helps them along the way. You got Carson Latimer, another 03 that we had picked, um, in that same draft as Verbicki. Carson's a real strong 200 foot centerman, big guy, has a lot of work ethic who played exhibition last year for us. So he'll be coming to camp. Um, and then the, the fans are also going to get a little bit of an opportunity to see some of our new draft picks, um, at training camp and that. And with our first overall pick, Caleb Bremer and, uh, Ross Stanley with our second, uh, pick this year in the draft, a defenseman and Kobe Hay, a goaltender. So, um, some of the guys that'll be at camp this year and, uh, should be exciting. Every year there's one guy who seems to stand out when he gets to the rookie camp and he forces his way into the main camp and suddenly he's maybe pushing himself onto the roster you didn't expect. Carter Such was that guy two years ago. I would argue Jalen Lipen was that player last year. Do you have somebody in mind this year that you're expecting, uh, or might be thinking that guy could surprise? You know, I don't think it's earmarked at anybody. It's it's interesting. Those guys, the reason they are surprised is because they do they do kind of surprise you. With with Lupin last year, he was, I mean, for a guy that was a ninth round pick, come to camp and the way he played, he was he was probably one of our best. He was our best young player at camp last year, and he and it and he the thing with him was he brought that right into exhibition play too. And you know, it's, that's their job. They the tougher they can make the management and coaching staff's decision on players. And, you know, if it's a tough decision, they've done their job. They've come and had a good camp. They've had a good exhibition season. And that's exactly what he did last year. And uh, there was no question here in that spot. So um, guys are going to have that opportunity this year. And I think even looking at our lineup, we might have a few more um, a few more rookie spots this year open than uh, in previous years. Now, one of the criticisms I've had over the Oil Kings over the last decade, and it's been hard to criticize the, the organization that's won a Memorial Cup and several uh, WHL championships uh, along the way, I would have liked to have seen more Americans uh, coming through, Cody Corbett and, and uh, Henrik Samuelson being a couple uh, that have started their WHL careers with the Oil Kings and, and had success. But there has, that list of Americans hasn't been very long. 
the, your team under uh, the team under your control has listed a number of American players, guys who uh, at least at this point are intended to go to the NCAA, but you never know what happens, and a guy might detour. Uh, I've liked that change. Has that been an important change uh, for you to make, in your opinion, and, and why do it? Yeah, I think it's important. I mean, you, you get the, so many spots in your list, so I think it's important to you know have some of those American players on your list in case they do decide to make a change. So uh, we've added some players throughout the season and uh, grown our college list a little bit, and even some of the, we've listed some American players too that are right now uncommitted to colleges that are on our 50-man list. So um, it is important because those players, um, a lot of them are really good players. That just at the end of the day, we don't have enough draft picks to, you know, you need to take care take care of the home base first here and make make those strong Canadian picks. And I mean, if you have kind of more picks each season, you might be able to add a few Americans in, but. Uh, we have done a good job at that. Jamie Porter and our scouting group in in Canada and the U.S. have identified a lot of them. And, uh, yeah, we've expanded that list to a spot where uh, we are comfortable with and uh, we'll continue to do so. Now, are there some of those players that you that will be coming to camp or not? Have you reached out and, and had positive feedback from any of them? Yeah, we have had a lot of positive feedback. I think one of the things you run into sometimes with those players is uh, with our camp being a little bit later, it's and with the U.S. high school, when they start, when they go to school and a lot of those training camps start down there, um, a lot of the times you don't get these players at camp, but so there's continual conversations um, that we're having with these players. We had a few of them come up to development camp, which was very positive. It's a, a little bit more of a pocket where, you know, it doesn't conflict with a lot of their USA hockey stuff. So um, for some of these players that are still trying to make a decision, um, you know, it still makes sense. I still understand why they go to the, to whatever it is, a USHL camp, or they go back to, their club team because they have to go back and show that loyalty to those programs or sometimes maybe they don't get, you know, those programs think they're becoming the Western League and maybe don't, uh, you know, they don't, they maybe they're not true supporters of our league or whatnot. So I, I understand that. But with a lot of the players that we have put on our list, we've had a lot of really good conversations with and, uh, hopefully here in the next, uh, couple seasons, we see a few of these Americans in our lineup. All right. Nobody coming to camp though. Uh, we, we have Owen Bone coming to camp. He's from San Jose, so he'll be coming in. And then we have the two Americans currently on our roster. And then, uh, I think we have some other Americans. Well, we have Littler. We drafted him this year in the, yep. in the Bantam draft. He'll be coming to camp. Um, and then we have a couple more. We'll have a few more Americans coming. I think we have three or four Americans coming to our rookie camp. So players that aren't currently on our list that are coming, uh, more in a free agent capacity. And okay. we'll see. We'll take a look at them and, uh, Potentially, those are guys that we could potentially list at that point. All right, very good. I guess when you're looking, projecting uh, what your roster is going to look like, and and looking further down the this uh, this season, the schedule, what's the biggest challenge in your mind for your club this year? Yeah, you know, I think it, our, with the team, it's the returning players. The, the biggest challenge is going to be where where players have uh, developed over the course of the summer. I mean, guys really have to come in with an understanding of. You know, they're the guys now. They're taking that next step, as we talked about earlier with our forward group. They're the ones taking that next step in their development now. And, you know, last year when maybe they looked around and they saw some of those older players there that were five-year veterans in the league, four-year veterans, close to 100-point guys, It's they look at them and they say, okay, well, they're going to get that done. Well, now it's uh, they're the guys that are being looked at upon those capacities. So um, a little bit of how they adjust to the new season. And, you know, it's going to be um, for everybody every year. It's guys got to get accustomed to – you know, strategies and the coaching staff systems that they put into place. So that's always something early in the year. And we have a couple big trips again early in the season in October. And then we have our big BC one at the end of November. So um, as last year, we had a real tough trip early October. 
uh, to the U.S. And that was, uh, you know, we didn't get to win a game on that trip. So I earmarked those two road trips in October and November, each of them being close to two weeks where um, real important road trips, not only for us to, uh, you know, have success on those road trips and, uh, you know, bond as a team, but also you got to always think about where you come out of those trips, knock on wood, injury standpoint, as those are real tough stretches in, in the season. Now, for a team that got to the conference uh, final last year and uh, lost in six games to the eventual WHL champion, where do you set the bar of expectations this year uh, and, and say reasonable expectations? I know the goal is to always win the WHL championship, but is that a realistic endeavor this year? Is it you know uh, make the playoffs and see what happens, or do you, is this a team in your mind that that should compete for the division title and maybe more than that? Yeah, we believe so here. I mean, at, at the end of the, the, the playoff experience that our group, this group got last year is invaluable. Like that, that's huge for this group going into the third round and, re- and playing a, a tough team like PA and then especially in that building, what our guys got to experience. So I think that's huge for our group. Uh, you know, we, we're, we're really happy with where we're at in, in that and uh, our defensive group. I think we got a real strong defensive core back there and our forward group. Again, like I talked about, there's lots of opportunity and a real exciting young group where a lot of these, these guys get to take that next step. So um, I don't, I don't see a lot of holes right now. I think we're, we're a strong team and I don't see why we can't um, do well in our division and compete with uh, some of the stronger teams in the Eastern conference. Kurt, I really appreciate your time. Looking forward to uh, camp getting started here in a couple of weeks and uh, wish you the best of luck. Okay, thanks a lot, Keith. That's Oil Kings GM Kurt Hill previewing what could be a pretty interesting camp for the Edmonton Oil Kings. Most notably, what they're going to do with the 20-year-old situation is, uh, as you heard him say, right now they've got uh, four and all can definitely play in the WHL. You've got goaltender Dylan Miskew, uh, Ford. Riley Sawchuk that they brought in, so you know he's going to be here. And two defensemen at Parker Gavlis and Connor McDonald. And boy, what happens if, sure it's a long shot, but if the Columbus Blue Jackets decide Trey Fix-Holansky would benefit from another year of junior hockey. That would really complicate things. But I want to know from you, the Oil King fan, what do you think they should do? Of the four that I mentioned, Gavlis, McDonald, Miskew, and Sawchuk, which three do you think they should keep? And there's a, a good argument for... For all four guys, uh, you know, Dylan Miskew obviously is their, is their starting netminder. If Todd Scott is ready to take on that job as a 19-year-old, then you might lean that way, but you don't get a whole lot for a 20-year-old goaltender right now. As I mentioned in the first segment, there's a couple who just went through waivers who are good enough to be starters in the WHL. So you might not get a lot for Dylan Miskew uh, via trade. So it might make more sense in that regard to hang on to him trade Todd Scott, but then you've still got an extra 20-year-old, and you know it's not going to be Riley Sawchuk they moved because they brought him in. So that leaves Parker Gavlis or Connor McDonald. McDonald's the offensive guy. Gavlis is the more the stay-at-home physical guy. But keep in mind, last year's team, uh, they brought Jackson Alexander in from Swift Current. He's got some offensive upside, but didn't play a lot last year. So you don't know exactly if he's ready to take over being the offensive guy for the Oil Kings on the blue line. If he is, then maybe Connor McDonald is expendable. And you'd get good return for him. Parker Gavlis, I'm sure there are teams that would take him. I don't think the return would be as much as it would be for Connor McDonald. But Gavlis plays a valuable role. He was a almost every night player last year and brought a physical dimension to the team that before he got here wasn't necessarily there every night. But then you can make the argument, Logan Dahanek comes in, he's 
he definitely brings that element to the game. And uh, Ethan Cap uh, will now be a 19-year-old. He's a big, strong, stay-at-home guy. So maybe they have excess in that department. Lots of ways you can look at it, and uh, only time will tell exactly which way the Edmonton Oil Kings decide to go in that department. We'll be looking forward to seeing how Jake Neighbors does in year two, and uh, Dylan Gunther as a full-time WHLer this coming season. What expectations? I had somebody on Twitter ask me, and I, you know, I said 45, 50 points probably for both of those guys. I think are reasonable expectations. Oil Kings should be an interesting team, and in my opinion should be in contention once again for the Central Division crown. One of the teams that will be challenging them for that spot are the Calgary Hitmen, the arch-rival Calgary Hitmen, led by general manager Jeff Chenoweth. Of the offseason moves, they may have made the biggest one at the WHL Bantam Draft, uh, where they swung a deal with the Moose Jaw Warriors, adding one of the top defensemen in the Western Hockey League, maybe the top defense, one of the top defensemen in the entire Canadian Hockey League, Jet Wu now a member of the Hitmen. That really transforms that team on the blue line. Can they be a club that uh, the Old Kings swept them in round two this past spring? The Hitmen might be ready for a big step forward. We'll talk to Jeff Chenoweth about that team next here on the Pipeline Show. Down on the end boards. Brandon turns it over. Peck forward. Comes around. Has whoosh shot. He scores. Chet Wu snaps it far side over the glove of Logan Thompson, and the Warriors have extended their lead. Hi, this is Jet Wu from the Moose Jaw Warriors, and you're listening to The Pipeline Show. There's a lot of people with disabilities that can't just go out and find a job. So we set out to create a business to fill those needs, one stick at a time. The Store Next Door gift shop is a Yarmouth-based manufacturer and retail outlet store. So we make great ideas that any of our employees come up with, and we reuse and recycle as much as possible. Our most popular item is probably our hockey furniture. We take broken hockey sticks and turn them into different products. We go through a lot of hockey sticks. A lot. A whole lot. Considering that it's only been a year and we're shipping internationally, I think that that's been a huge success. Most people's reactions are, wow, you do this here. We don't accept can't here. Everyone here learns in different ways, but we want to give everybody every opportunity to find exactly what works for them. There's nothing better than when a customer buys something and then one of our employees say, I made that. They have meaningful lives and build things they can be proud of and get a paycheck for it. I'm Amy Acker and we change lives one job at a time. You're listening to The Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming. You know, I hear the camera adds 10 pounds. Looks like you've eaten five cameras. Back on The Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming, continuing on with our 2019-20 season previews for all the WHL teams. And we already touched on the Edmonton Oil Kings, and there'll be another Alberta team coming up. But all these in-the-dub segments are brought to you by dubnetwork.ca. You can Stay up to date on everything happening around the Western Hockey League, and uh, they're doing a fine job during the summer with their daily doses of the dub. You can find that at dubnetwork.ca. I mentioned another Alberta team, 
It's the Calgary Hitman, and uh, that means that General Manager Jeff Chanouth is back on the Pipeline Show. Jeff, welcome back to the program. How's summer been? Summer's been good, Guy. Uh, always a pleasure to chat with you and uh, get to get ready for the upcoming hockey season. All right, well, let's get right to it as camps are opening up. As you and I are speaking right now, what, about two weeks away, I guess, from uh, the start of uh, rookie and then main camps for WHL teams. Before we get to what's happening this season with your roster, maybe we'll take a second to reflect on last year's roster and the players who aren't back. And obviously all of the teams will uh, lose their overage players from last year, the 1998-born group for you. That's Jake Kriske, Caden Elder, and Luke Coleman, three forwards, three impact players for your team. Uh, anybody else from last year's roster that you're not expecting back this year? No, I think those are really the only ones we, uh, we, you know, we were the way we built this a couple of years ago with the trades that we made. We knew that, uh, you know, this year and next year was kind of not our year, but you know, that, you know, our team was going to stay the same and there'd be very little turnover or we had hoped there would be little, very little turnover. So, you know, I, I don't think there's anyone else. I mean, uh, you know, training camp and exhibition will determine some. There's always a new wave of players coming in that to, can possibly push uh, older players out. And uh, But uh, that's the beauty of junior hockey, so uh, time will tell on that. Now, when it comes to the overage situation for your club right now, I believe you have the rights to four players, but I think only three. Uh, I don't believe Matthew Armitage is playing in the dub this year. Is he going to the BCHL? Is that is that correct? Yes, he'll go back. As far as I know, he'll go back to the BCHL. We'll start the year with uh, Mark Kastelik, and James Malm up front and Dakota Krebs on the back end. And those will be our three 20-year-olds to start the year. Obviously, the uncertainty will be Mark Kastelik being a draft pick of the Ottawa Senators at the recent NHL draft. As a 20-year-old player, he can play, you know, minor pro if need be. So uh, we hope and think he will be back, but you never know. And uh, well, time will tell with how Mark does at training camp in September with the Ottawa Senators. At this point, not signed yet by Ottawa, correct? No, no, he's not. Yeah, they just drafted him. So, um, yeah, pretty good chance. I think he's back. And boy, uh, with uh, he and James Mom, you could potentially have two of the the most offensive twenty uh, uh, year olds in the league. That's uh, and with the uh, Krebs on the back end, really good defenseman there. Um, that's a, a trio of overage players that would be the envy of the league. Well, I don't know about the envy of the league, but we'd be really happy. I mean, Mark Kaslick is is the key to our hockey club. And obviously you saw him lots last year. And I mean, mm-hmm. he's coming in, it'd be his fifth season. He's really come into his own the last two years, you know, scoring 47 goals last year, getting drafted by Ottawa, like we mentioned earlier. Uh, James Maul, you know, an offensive guy we picked up in a trade with Vancouver at the end of October. I think the key thing that we like he is that all three of these guys, not that James Maul or Dakota Krebs are homegrown, but they've been here long enough that you're not trading for them in the summer. They know what's expected they know the expectations of our team both on and off the ice. And, uh, you know, we're excited to have them all back and, you know, really hit the ground running with the three that you know you're going to have. Well, and that brings us to the import players. And uh, you did make two selections in this past import draft, and you've signed both players, though, one from the Czech Republic, one from Slovakia. You do also have Jäger uh, uh, Zamula the rights to still. I know he's signed by the Philadelphia Flyers. Is that why you were able to uh, select two players, because he is signed? Exactly. He's assigned an NHL player, so we were allowed to select two, and uh, we selected Jonas Pederick from the Czech Republic, a 2001 forward, and Samuel Kratz from the, from Slovakia, 2002 forward, and uh, obviously, you know, we're not moving Jaeger Zamula, you know, almost, uh, you know, I think almost 60 points last year as a defenseman. Uh, you know, we're expecting big things from him when he returns from Philadelphia this year. 
So one of those two Euros, unfortunately, will not make our team, but it's always good to have competition. And uh, I think that, uh, you know, the one age group that we, you know, that we're a little thin in, 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 in I, I think, is the 2002 age group. So with the trade we made last year with Moose Jaw at the Bantam draft for Jet Wu, we traded Ryder Korzak. So, you know, not giving the leg up on Samuel Cratch as a 2002, but uh, training camp, exhibition season, and the start of the regular season will determine which one stays. Both the new imports, though, that you have signed, they're aware of the situation. You kind of told them when, as you're signing them that with uh, Zamuli, one of them's not going to be with you. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, they know what's going on. And I mean, as you know, competition is always good and we want lots of competition, even though we have a number of returning players. As I mentioned earlier, there are going to be some young guys and the European players are going to be pushing for spots. So, uh, you know, we're looking forward to the start of training camp and really, you know, a quick four-game exhibition season and then start the regular season. So, you know, we want these kids to come in and make an impression and do what they do and do it well. All right, let's go to your goaltenders who are coming to camp and the guys vying to be uh, the two uh, on your roster. And, and I would suggest Carl Stankowski and Jack McNaughton would be the, uh, the the favorites to get those jobs. They played with you for the most part all season last year. And McNaughton, an uh, admirable job that he did to help get your team uh, into the playoffs and, and played pretty well with uh, Stankowski on the shelf for an extended period of time. I'm going to go out on a limb and suggest that's your, that's your goaltending duo this year. Fair to say? Fair, but I, I don't want to say it's written in stone. We were pretty excited about the two, 2002 goaltenders we have in Braden Peters and Ethan Hine. Braden played with the Lethbridge Midget, Midget Hurricanes last year, and uh, Ethan played in uh, Swift Current AAA Midget. And, uh, you know, those are two guys that were up last year when Carl was out with his high ankle sprain for, you know, 10 weeks, and we had to have a revolving door behind Jack McNaughton. So, you know, obviously Jack McNaughton is our number one guy. He proved it last year. Uh, we don't make the playoffs without Jack McNaughton's play last year. At one point, he played 23 straight games as a 17-year-old rookie. Uh, obviously, it's his draft year with the late birthday in the 2001. So his expectations and what he he's hoping to accomplish, I mean, I know he's got a lot on his mind. You know, Carl Stankowski is going to come in and compete for a job. Carl knows that. We spoke to him at the end of the year that, you know, we uh, right now Jack is our number one guy, but that's, you know, you got competition. And if we have to start the year with three goalies, we will do that. And, uh, but those are the four goalies that would be competing, you know, the, the key guys at this point. And, uh, and we feel, you know, like it's such a tough position as you know, Guy, that you can never have too much depth and goal. And we, we think that, uh, you know, in the last couple of years, we've made some changes on our list. We've made some trades. Uh, Braden Peters was a draft pick. We've got some good goalies we think coming up in the 03 and 04. We, we think we've got some uh, some depth in that position. Now with Stankowski's injuries the last couple of years, they were all unrelated to each other, right? I mean, last year the high ankle sprain that's unrelated to uh, why he was out with Seattle for so long. But any concern with his health moving forward? Well, there was nothing, you know, coming into last year. We, you know, the Carl's issues would have happened in Seattle with his hip and his diet and all the other things that he had. Mm -hmm. There was, it didn't flare up at all last year. I mean, he did a coming back and playing and he showed right away that he could do it. And then unfortunately, he was just hitting his stride in the in November when we were on our U.S. trip and uh, rolled that ankle in Seattle of all places and, uh, you know, didn't come back until February. And I mean, 
you know, it's, uh, it was, it's too bad from Carlson because he was really playing well for us. And, uh, you know, again, you, nothing wrong with having some depth and goal. And I mean, you, you look at the, the teams in our league, there's a few teams last year, including the Edmonton Oak Kings who had a lot of depth and goal. And it's such an important position. And, you know, you play 68 games during the year, you, you know, and you don't want to ride that horse and wear them out. So if you can get uh, some depth and get some of the other guys to play some quality minutes, it, it bodes well for your team down the road. Jeff Shanoth is the general manager of the Calgary Hitmen, my guest here on the Pipeline Show as we're previewing the upcoming season uh, for the Hitmen. Uh, you mentioned the All Kings, and I just spoke with Kurt Hill uh, not that long ago and uh, said to him, it's uh, when a team can bring back as many defensemen uh, from the previous season, it's such a blessing. And like the All Kings, you get to bring back pretty much everybody uh, from last year's team. Obviously, Yara Yomenko was dealt in that trade to Moose Job, but uh, to bring everybody back and add Jet Wu to the mix, uh, that's uh, that's a huge piece uh, to the puzzle for you guys. Well, no question about it. We we thought that uh, we got exposed a little bit in the second round of the playoffs last year and one against Edmonton. And the key thing I thought was their defense. Their defense played a lot better than us. They were uh, more active, and uh, so you know, obviously, one of our not off-season goals because we didn't think we were going to be able to get Jet Wu, but we were looking to get a you know a top-end defenseman. We thought we'd have to trade for it at, at the deadline. But uh, to have an opportunity to have Jet Wu for the whole year, uh, we think he's a legitimate number one defenseman in this league, one of the top scoring defensemen in the league last year, can play in all situations, has a little bit of edge to his game, right-handed shot. I, I just think it does so much for us. And uh, you know, from our end, I mean, it uh, just gives us more depth when you add Igor Zamula. Jackson Vanellis uh, really took strides, much like our team in the second half of Last season, um, uh, he's now a year older. He's going to be 18. Luke Prokop had a great year as a 16-year-old. He played quality minutes from the time he arrived. And, uh, you know, not many 16-year-olds can step in and play that many minutes. You've got Lane Toder, who can play up and down the lineup. You've got Dakota Krebs. So you return six guys, I mean, veteran guys. And then you've got some young guys. You know, you've got Devin Clawson, who played up and down forward in defense for us last year. Andrew Biggers, who played two years ago, is going to come back and compete for a spot. He, he finished the year in West Kelowna, the BCHL. That doesn't even get us into our O3s and uh, Tyson Galloway and, and Rory Neal. And as well as we've got some O2s and Evan Toth and Hale Shonick that are going to compete for spots. So we've got a lot of defensemen. A lot of guys are going to compete for spots. And as I mentioned, and I'll say many times, competition is good. And uh, we're, uh, again, trying to build some depth in our organization. Just out of curiosity, I don't know if you can reveal too much, but how did the Jet Wu trade come together for you? You said at the start there that you didn't expect you'd be able to get him. Well, I think Alan Miller and I have a very good relationship, and uh, we had joked about it uh, when we were dealing a couple of years ago when we were moving Jake Bean, and, and he had were very interested in Jake Bean and some of the other trades, the Beck Malenstein trade, the, the Matteo Gennaro. And I think that he joked, said, well, I'll be coming to you in a couple of years with Jet Wu. So we've always joked about that at the time. And uh, as it turned out, I mean, uh, it just kind of was a perfect storm. Came together very quickly, uh, which doesn't always happen with deals of that magnitude. We did not want to give up Ryder Korzak. He had a great second half of the year. Our 16-year-olds played key minutes with all our injuries. So I think it was really, you know, to get that done that quickly and still have the majority of our draft picks that we have in a, in a draft year that everyone is quite excited about the 2005, you know, at least we have them right now, I should say we're excited to, you know, have that add a player like jet and still have uh, our draft picks heading into a, what could be a very good uh, Batum draft class. Uh, steep price to pay, but boy, jet was a, a good player, a, a very good player. As you said, a, a bonafide number one guy uh, in the WHL steep price, but a very fair price.
to get him. Uh, let's move to the forwards. And I mentioned you, you get to bring back uh, your top three scorers from last year in Mark Kasselik, James Malman, and Carson Folk. And I, I would suggest a guy like Riley Stotts underachieved. I, I'm a fan of uh, Riley, but uh, it seemed like he struggled uh, throughout uh, parts of last season. Um, tell me about your forward uh, group and uh, who you expect to, to lean on other, outside of uh, your two overagers in Kasselik and Malm. Well, I think Carson Folk getting drafted by Vancouver, uh, obviously great feather in his cap, had a good second half of the year, great playoff, probably was our best playoff player from both rounds. Um, he went to the World Junior Summer Selection Camp. Riley Stotts, uh, you know, everyone talks about, geez, it was a disappointing year for Riley Stotts. Suffered a shoulder injury early uh, in early in October. Our team was struggling. He was struggling coming back from Toronto's training camp, but he was almost a point-of-game player when he came back, and I mean, if that's a bad year, I'll take that. Because I, I, I agree with you. I think the sky is the limit for Riley. We expect big things from him. And, uh, you know, we add him to our lineup. Josh Prokops now knows what the Western Hockey League is about. It's his second, you know, his first full season here. He came in after the first weekend last year from Vernon to the BCHL, where he was coming off shoulder surgery, major shoulder surgery the year before. So, you know, it's a big adjustment to come to our league as it is, and then coming off a major injury. He had a good finish to the year. We expect big things from him and him to contribute top six minutes. Riley Fiddler-Schultz uh, plays hard at both ends of the ice, a 2002 16-year-old. Uh, we, we're going to have a big thing, a big year for him expecting. We've got some injuries. Uh, Hunter Campbell had major knee surgery in February. He was kneed, uh, in a game in Regina and suffered uh, major knee damage, had surgery done in February. We don't think he'll be back to start the regular season, but he's made great progress so far and might miss maybe the first three weeks of the season. So he won't start the year for with us. He will be a key contributor for us as an 18 year old who can play, you know, up and down the lineup. Uh, Kale Zimmerman, another one who can play up and down the lineup, unfortunately had uh, hip surgery in early July. He will miss the first half of the regular season. So, you know, his uh, rehab's going well, but it's a slow process, and, uh, and we probably won't see him until January. So when you take those two guys out, there's going to be some spots. And, uh, you know, Ty Carrier, you know, he was injured a lot last year, an 18-year-old from Red Deer. He's going to get an opportunity to move up and down the lineup as a right-handed shot. Uh, Devin Clawson, as I alluded to earlier, can play both forward and defense. Uh, then you've got some good 16-year-olds in Sean Chagall uh, and uh, Zach Funk, two guys that we think that uh, you know had, definitely have a chance to make our hockey team. And we're not throwing out uh, you know a gentleman by the name of Orca Weisblatt. Up and down last year, he played in uh, a couple leagues in the Junior A in Western Canada, finished in Portage. But he was up with us for an extended period of time with all our injuries. And, uh, you know, as you know, you win with older players. And uh, Orca made an impression last year when he was here. And uh, he's going to have an opportunity to compete for a spot as well. Uh, we've got some O2s that are coming off uh, playing midget hockey, you know, both in the Saskatchewan Midget League and in the Alberta Midget League. They'll have a chance to make the team. So, again, that's what training camp's about. And, yeah, in the two Euro forwards that we talked at the top, right off the top, you know, we're going to have some guys that, uh, you know, competition's going to be tight. Mm-hmm. Lots of competition. As you said, that's a good thing. I wonder, uh, you have some, uh, some players on your, uh, protected list, your college list, guys who are listed at least, uh, currently that they're going the NCAA path. Uh, any chance any of those guys, uh, show up in camp that maybe fans aren't expecting? No, not right now. They'll, everyone will stay the way it is. I mean, uh, you know, we did, we did obviously touch base with uh, Quinn Olson and his family. We met with them in the summer. We've also talked to Johnny Tyconic, but as it is, both of them will start uh, both in Minnesota Duluth for Quinn Olson and uh, uh, Johnny Tyconic will go back for a second year at North Dakota. 
Jackson Niedermeyer, another one of those guys? Exactly. We talked to Jackson last year at the sports school championships in Penticton, and uh, he's looking forward to going to Arizona State. He had his season cut short by shoulder surgery last year, too. So, you know, obviously he's kind of a year behind of uh, his year because he lost most of it as well. So, uh, yeah, we don't expect uh, any of those three players in camp. I know one of the questions is what you expect to be one of the uh, the hurdles for your team to clear uh, over the course of the season, biggest challenges along the way. If if I would have asked you that last year, I would have said maybe with the new head coach coming in, how long it takes before coach and team are on the same page. You guys had such a, a strong preseason uh, last year. Uh, to have Steve Hamilton again full-time uh, as uh, the coach, everybody's used to each other now. How big of an advantage is it now to have that one year under under the team's belt for coach and players, all everybody on the same page? I think it's huge, Guy. I mean, some of our guys have had, had three coaches in three years. Yeah. So to have stability and have the whole coaching staff back and uh, in Steve Hamilton, Trent Kazan, Jason LaBarber, and Joel Otto, along with our athletic therapist and equipment manager, there's no change. Last year we had a lot of change from the head coach to the uh, uh to the athletic therapist, to, you know, coaches, again, Trent Cassan working with his third coach in three years, Jason LaBarber, the same thing, Joel Otto. So it was nice that, you know, they, they developed a good bond and a good working relationship. And I know everyone's excited to be back. And, uh, you know, we're excited about the year. We, uh, we like, uh, we like our hockey club. We've got holes just like any other major junior team. That's the beauty of junior hockey. But, you know, there's some good teams in our, in our division. You look at the Medicine Hat Tigers, you look at the Evans and Oil Kings. You can never count out, never count out the Red Deer Rebels. They're always there. You know, Lethbridge might, they lost a few players, but, you know, they, they've got a winning tradition as well. I mean, I think the Central Division has you know, made some strides. Obviously, last year, you know, from a, two years ago, it was quite weak. And then uh, last year, it got back to where it was in the, for many years. And I, I think it's going to be a real tough division right from the get-go. Yeah, parity in the division last year was, was I mean, the races down the stretch was phenomenal for the fans to, exciting for everybody involved. Um, this year, when you're projecting what re- a reasonable expectation would be for your club, I mean, the goal is always to win the WHL championship. Uh, but legitimately, this is a team, in my opinion, that should contend for the division championship at the very least. Do you feel the same? Well, I like to think that, but I mean, you know, there's been lots of teams that are, you know, penciled in on paper in August or September before the season starts. All the pundits say that you're going to be the guy, and uh, you know, you got to put it. You know, you got to let your talking you got to do your talking on the ice and i i think that uh, we have the potential but as i alluded to medicine hat tigers edmonton Hawkins, two very good hockey teams and uh, again not talking taking away from any other team in the eastern conference but there's some good teams in our conference and uh you know, a lot of it will depend on players or who comes back from pro, and uh, that affects so many things in in, in our game. I mean, uh, you know, if you get those top end guys back, you just you don't replace them. I mean, that's just it's impossible. So I, I really, you know, I don't like to set goals, but I mean, I've always said all along. I used to say for my years in Cooney, they give out two trophies every year. If you're not going to try to win them, why play? And I mean, you know, we're going to try to do our best and uh, we've got to make some tweaking and uh, making our lineup better at a certain time. We'll definitely do that. I like that. Uh, when does camp open, Jeff? Camp opens uh, fitness testing for rookies and uh, veterans on August 28th. We moved it. Uh, we're a week later this year. We uh, we just felt the season is too long. And uh, so we'll do ours instead of uh, that August 22nd weekend or 23rd, 24th, 25th. We'll do it and finish on Labor Day Sunday and uh, get going with two exhibition games against the Oil Kings on the 6th and 7th. And then the final weekend play in uh, Medicine Hat, or excuse me, play in Tabor against Medicine Hat and play an exhibition game at uh, the Silo Dome against Red Deer to close out our four games 
exhibition season. All right. Well, we'll see you when you come up uh, to Edmonton for that exhibition game. Really looking forward to the year, Jeff, and as always, appreciate your time. Thanks for this. Good luck. Anytime, Dee. Thanks for having me. That's Jeff Chenoweth, and that's one of the reasons I wanted to get the GMs on this year, because guys like Jeff Chenoweth uh, bring it when they're on the show. Terrific job setting up camp for the Calgary Hitmen, who, in my opinion, I mentioned it during that interview, I think they should contend for the uh, at least the division championship. I, and I agree with what he said. There's going to be parity again this year. I thought the parity in the Central Division last year was fantastic. Went right down to the wire. You had Calgary, you had Lethbridge, you had Medicine Hat, you had Edmonton all duking it out. Red Deer was in there until they faded right at the, the last month of the season. I think it could be a, a similar situation again this year. And, and then you had Swift Current into the mix this year as well. All right, we go from the Calgary Hitmen to the first team out of the U.S. division that we're going to profile during this run-up to the start of the WHL season. It's the Everett Silvertips general manager, Gary Davidson, is on the Pipeline Show next. Left wing, the drop pass, Kendry into the offensive zone, top into the net in front for Madsen. What a save by Dustin Wolf! He stretched out with the glove, makes the save and covers... Oh my! 837 to go in the second! Hey, it's Dustin Wolf with the Everett Silvertips, and you're listening to the Pipeline Show. NCAA Hockey offers all that and its players graduate at a 90% rate. Dylan Larkin. Backhand scores! Wow, what a goal! Kevin Shattenkirk. Goal! And James Van Riemsdyk were stars on campus before the NHL stage. Whether you are a fan or a player, nothing compares to college hockey. Visit collegehockeyinc.com and follow at College Hockey. Champions of the college hockey world! You're listening to the Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming. Yo! Drop your grinning and drop your linen. Back on the Pipeline Show, another a GM from another WHL team will be joining me momentarily, and that means it's another In the Dub segment brought to you by dubnetwork.ca. You can keep up to date on everything happening around the world of the Western Hockey League, even right through the summer, every day, the daily dose of uh, the dub at dubnetwork.ca. .ca. We've uh, chatted with a couple of GMs already on this week's episode, and uh, today it's the first U.S. team that's going to be represented, the Everett Silvertips, who had a really strong season last year. What do you do for an encore? Well, let's ask the general manager, Gary Davidson. Uh, Gary, welcome back to the Pipeline Show. How are you? I'm very well, thank you, and it's great to be uh, on board again with you here for a little visit. Well, I appreciate it, and I know uh, we're, what about, I guess, 10 days away from uh, camp opening up for for you, you, you were telling me just a second ago, uh, camp opens, what, on the 22nd in Everett? Yeah, we uh, get started on the tw- 22nd. We call it phase one, and we'll have somewhere, you know, close to 100 players here this year. Uh, go through four days, and then we'll get uh, real real serious about picking our team in phase two. Well, that's a, that's a big group to start with. Is this, uh, you're just beating the bushes, trying to find uh, some, uh, some unheralded players, guys under the radar, off the radar a little bit, and, and then go, maybe they get to the, to the next stage of camp? Well, we've, we've always probably had about 80 players, but for some reason this year we had a, 
a more positive response to our free agent invites, so we've expanded it to six small teams here. Um, and and again, uh, it it it's exciting that people have uh, I guess got excited about what we're doing here and have decided to come. Uh, as everybody knows, the dollar makes it more difficult for us U.S. guys probably mm-hmm. to entice uh, kids from the West to come down here. It's very expensive. Uh, but, uh, again, the response has been real positive, and we're excited about watching this group this year. Well, we'll talk a little bit more about camp in a second, but before we uh, pro- uh, look forward, let's look back a little bit. Last year's roster, uh, every team will lose uh, three 20-year-olds from last year's team. For you, that's Zach Andrusiak, uh, Savin Kara, and, and Artem Manulin uh, off the back end. Outside of the three overage guys from last year, anybody else that uh, that you had in the playoffs that won't be back this season? Well, I anticipate we won't have uh, Connor Dewar or Riley Sutter. They've both signed NHL contracts, and yeah. I presume uh, they're both coming to skate for a few days, which is always uh, nice to have uh, and just shows their level of interest and commitment to our program. But uh, I, I can't imagine we're going to see those guys back. And then we have uh, five more overages here. I think you mentioned six before, but it's actually five. Akash Baines. Just told me a couple of days ago he's going to move on. Okay. Uh, but in that group of uh, five guys, uh, we're not guaranteed any, all five of them will be back as well. We've got uh, potentially some guys, and Wiley's one of them who has drafted and could sign a contract in camp there. So we'll have to sit back and just see what happens with those five guys. All right. Let's go on to the import situation. And uh, Martin Fasco-Rudish is, is back again this year. And you, you have a new player in Michael Good who – just coming off a uh, pretty good performance at the Holinka Gretzky Cup in in uh, in the Czech Republic and Slovakia, but he led his team, the Czech Republic team, in scoring. So that's uh, that's a nice bonus. Yeah, we were fortunate; we were able to uh, get him in the draft. Uh, it's always a difficult process, the Euro draft, but uh, uh, we were able to select Michael. Uh, he came highly recommended. We had a chance for a European guy to watch him a bit, as well as watch some of his games on video and. And again, he did have a very good Holenka. And uh, I know our head coach was over there and he hasn't got back yet. Dennis Williams will return in the next couple of days here. And he had a chance to coach against them in the one game. And I think they beat them 7 1. But uh, Michael actually scored the only goal in the game for the Czechs that day. But we're real excited about having him. And uh, he comes in as a centerman. And that's a, an area that we thought we were thin at last year. So we're hoping he's going to. Uh, give us some quality minutes down the middle there. Well, sounds like a good fit, at least positionally. And I, I'm always curious how much advance notice or uh, information you have about a player before the import draft. Sounds like you had somewhat of a scouting report uh, on him, though, going in. Yeah, no, we'd uh, we'd had our guy in, uh, in Europe lay his eyes on him. I obviously talked to a few NHL scouts because this next year he'll be draft eligible. Mm. And then when we did watch some video uh some complete games of him, not a highlight video by any means, but more uh, we watched a couple of games and liked what we saw, and we were fortunate to get him at our uh, late pick there in the first round. All right, Gary, let's move on and uh, look at the positionally, uh, well, the guys coming into camp, at least uh, that are, what, you're one of the few teams that are on the WHL website and have your uh, preseason roster, which I really appreciate. But the, the two goaltenders listed, obviously Dustin Wolf coming in, after a really strong season, he was drafted by the Calgary Flames. 
And Keegan Carkey, an interesting player who was looked like he was headed to uh, a couple of different programs in the NCAA, and for whatever reason, the detoured and has landed now with the Everett Silvertips. He's actually a, a season older than Dustin Wolf, but hasn't played a whole lot over the last couple of years. Uh, tell me about the addition to Keegan Carkey. We know Dustin really well, uh, but what does Keegan uh, add to your team? Well, Keegan, I, two years ago, actually had a fairly good year in the USHL, but last year, due to injuries, he did have limited play. He had some off-season uh, surgeries. He's 100%. He'll be arriving here in the next day or two. So uh, we're really excited to have him to our group. He's a big big goaltender, prototypical, 6'4", mm-hmm. 6'5", guy. Uh, so w- w- with both of those guys here, we feel pretty comfortable at the goaltending position. Uh, the the other thing uh, we're going to have to maybe deal with is Dustin uh, may be away at World Juniors. Uh He's one of four goalies, I think, that was at the U.S. Uh, showcase camp there, and I think he has a real legitimate shot of earning a spot on that team, which usually means a month away and anywhere from eight to ten games where he won't be available. But uh, time will tell on that one as well. But uh, Keegan, we, we're excited to be able to add him to our group here and see uh See how it works out for him and ourselves. Well, your franchise has gone through that World Junior situation before with a goaltender. Carter Hart left, and, and Dustin filled in really well for him while he was gone. Something about the Everett Silvertips, uh, it seems to just be a constant year after year. There's no question, you know, have no concerns when it comes to your goaltending. I know uh, there's probably 21 other teams that would like to know the secret to your success in that department. Uh uh, I think it's a lot of good luck, to be honest with you. Uh, <laughs> l- let's be honest. We picked Carter Hart in the eighth round. Well, we liked him, uh, but, uh, you know, the Bantam draft is so young, and uh, as it turned out, he was a big-time goaltender at our level, and obviously he's now getting a chance at the NHL. Uh, Dustin, we saw a lot of the same qualities, and we were fortunate enough to pick him in the draft, and he made a decision to, to come to our program and not stay in the U.S. So it's been a bit of good fortune for us i think i think the other thing you know what we tried to do here is look for a few specific things that we see in goaltenders that we think is important and both of these young men uh, have filled those attributes so to speak or checked those boxes so uh, uh it, it 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 is very comforting to know that we've uh, we've had solid goaltending in the past and certainly looks like we will over the next couple of years here well, it might be uh, much ado about nothing, but th- there was a lot said about Dustin Wolf not being six three or six four, and and you know w- where would he get drafted if he would get drafted at all? And sounds like uh, he's. I-, I would expect he'd be a guy who's coming to camp pretty motivated to uh, not just justify that he was drafted, but maybe show people that uh, he should have been drafted a little bit earlier than than he was in the seventh round by the Calgary Flames. That's probably from your perspective. That's got to be a good thing to have a guy pretty motivated like that. Yeah, Dustin is a, a consummate pro. I mean, he shows up each and every day and is 110 committed to having a, a good day both on and off the ice. And uh, and again, I know that his size went against him a bit in the draft there, um, but uh, he is what he is, and uh, I think he's going to prove a lot of people wrong here. I have a lot of confidence in him, and I'm sure he is a little more motivated to show everybody that uh, he can get the job done at the next levels. Gary Davidson, GM of the Everett Silvertips, my guest here on the Pipeline Shows. We're previewing the 2019-20 season for all 22 teams here over the next month. Uh, your blue line coming to camp, uh, and you have the ability at least to uh, return 
uh, six guys who were on your roster at some point last year. And I know you, there's a couple of those guys, Jake Christensen and Wyatt Wiley, who are overage candidates. And you have, as you said, five of them uh, coming to camp right now. And some question marks whether uh, Wyatt Wiley will be back or if Philly will will sign him and uh, he, he could potentially turn pro. But uh, nice to have a, a returning a group of defensemen as you are, isn't it? Yeah, I like our group. We're obviously going to be a, a bit younger and less experienced, but uh, I think uh, it's a good group. And Jake Christensen, as an overage, could go to camp and earn a contract too. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, of course, we've got Sealy and Fairbrother, and Johnny was drafted by Montreal, and those two guys will uh, be very important for us. But we've got four younger guys under there, 202s and 203s, that we feel are going to be quality people for us. Uh, but again, it's an unproven group uh, a little bit compared to last year where we had uh, we had six veteran defensemen. So, uh, But I do feel very confident in this group. I think it's a group, very solid group of young men that are going to do the job for us. Who would be those young guys trying to work their way in, into the roster? Maybe maybe they won't be everyday players, but we'll get sprinkled in and, and see some action this year that fans should expect uh, and maybe circle their names on their on their roster sheets when they come watch camp. Well, again, uh, Dylan Anderson got to play a little bit with us and, and really came up short last year simply because he was a 16-year-old in that mix of veteran defense fund. Sure. We've added uh, a young guy out of Kamloops, Aiden Sutter, who we really think has had a great development year last year. We're excited that he's coming in. And then we have our two drafted 03s, uh, Owen Zellweger and Ty Gibson, uh, both, both – uh, Played on their uh, Alberta collective teams there a year ago, and uh, we believe they're both going to be uh, knocking on the door here as 16-year-olds to play. So uh, it's a good group, uh, uh, a group that we feel uh, sort of plays the game the way it's being played today, and that's with tempo and speed and moving pucks and that. So we're excited by this group of players. Gary, tell me about your forward group uh, coming back, and, and obviously you have some uh, potential leaders up front, guys like Bryce Kindop and, and Max Patterson, and, and Lucas Cullen still in the mix as an overage player as well, but you have some younger guys as well. We mentioned Michael Goot, and I don't know how much we should expect from an import when he's uh, making his North American debut, but uh, how do you like your, your group up front as a, as a whole? Well, this, this is the group probably, um, including myself and our coaches, and, and probably all the experts out there looking and saying, okay, who's going to pick up the slack for the offense that's moved on? Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think that's an ongoing thing at our level. Um, so uh, if we have a question mark, it will be the group of forwards and who's going to provide some offense with us. Uh, we've got a number of veterans back, which is good, and adding goods to down the middle is positive. And Fasco Rudis, our other Euro, uh, he will probably miss uh, training camp in a little bit. He had some off-season injuries that he had to dealt with, deal with. He was uh, involved with the Slovak 20-year 20, 20 team and could potentially play in the World Juniors too. Uh, but again, we got to f- we got to figure out in that group who's going to step up and put up the offensive points that have moved on with the likes of Dewar and Sutter moving on and that. So. Uh, We'll we'll keep our fingers crossed that these guys do what happens in major junior hockey, go from six eight goals to twenty twenty five goals. That's what we're going to need to see from some of the people in this group here. It can be hard to predict, but I imagine there are some guys who played further down your depth chart last year that you think can make that jump to be a bigger contributor this year. Yeah, no no question about it. Reese Vitelli started here at sixteen, and Reese will be in his third year, so. 
we're expecting him to add some offense to his game and to our group here. Uh, the other guy that uh, that I really thought really started to show some progress in the second half was Gage Gonsalves here. Uh, Gage was a big scorer at Midget. We anticipate he's going to do that when he uh, gets going here. And then uh, uh, Jackson Barahowski is another young forward that uh, put some pucks in the net for us last year as a 16-year-old and mm-hmm. has been a real good scorer as a youth player. So, uh, again, I don't want to put a lot of pressure on these guys, but these guys have the capability of stepping up and, and helping us on the offensive side of the game for sure. And I think there's another guy here that really uh, 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 had a really good junior B year two years ago as a 16-year-old, and that's Jalen Price. He's got good hands, and uh, we're hoping uh, he can carve out a bigger net role from within our group and help us with some offense as well. All right, we'll watch for those guys. Uh, and, and any of the uh, newcomers to camp, uh, young guys uh, that you drafted a couple of years ago that, that uh, might be pushing their way on as well? Well, we got two guys out of Manitoba, uh, Nate Goodbranson and Carter Hallamanderis. Both of them uh, played on the Winnipeg AAA team, so have played against each other. Both had very good offensive years, and uh, we're – we're going to give them a real good look. They'll get through exhibition games here, and we'll see if they're ready to play. Uh, Helen Manduras is actually Marty Murray's nephew. I think lots of people remember Marty when he was a, a Brandon Wheat King, and sure. uh, so he has some good bloodlines there. And, uh, again, these two young guys, we're uh, going to have a real good look at camp here and see whether they're ready or not or whether they need another year of development. Now, and every team has a number of players on their protected list uh, that might be NCAA committed or were at one point. Uh, are, are there any players like that that might be coming to camp this year that uh, might maybe be a bit of a surprise for fans? Uh, no, uh, I, I don't really think anybody that's committed has decided to continue in that uh, direction. Uh, but what our, our scouting staff, I thought, did a really good job of looking at the O3 group uh, because uh, once the draft is over, there's lots of guys that the next year really grow and develop. So we've got probably, I, I would say, somewhere about six or eight forwards here, uh, 03s that we have protected and uh, or drafted that are going to come in here. They're unsigned yet, but they're going to come in here and certainly to challenge for uh, positions with the group as well. We'll be looking for those battles uh, throughout camp as well. Now, when you look at the rest of the division, I know it's kind of a tough question, but what do you, what do you think the biggest challenge is going to be for the Everett Silver Tips this season? Well, I, again, it's all it's so difficult. Our division has been so competitive and so good the last couple of years. I I anticipate it'll continue in that way. Uh, I mean, all of us have lost some pretty good players, and wow. all of the teams that we're going to play in our division certainly have got some really good young quality players. Um, I think it'll it, it, it I think it'll be a real tight race in our division again. Uh, uh, again, some of the unknowns are the Euros. I think Spokane drafted a Euro goalie. That might be an interesting scenario there. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I know uh, Bill down there in, in Seattle moved a couple of older guys, but they've got some real good young quality kids they've drafted over the last couple of years in Seattle there. So that'll be interesting. And uh, uh, and again, I Portland and Tri are, are solid too. It, it it's really difficult to predict at this time. Uh, and I certainly uh, don't want to uh, say who I think the favorite is because sure. I really don't know at this point. But, again, I feel confident the U.S. division is going to be a real dogfight again. 
All right. Now, I usually end it with uh, what reasonable expectations for uh, whichever club I'm talking uh, about, what the realistic expectations would be. Maybe I'll change it and, and say, well, look, what, what would you consider to be a successful season this year, Gary? I know the end goal is always to win the WHL championship, but it's not realistic necessarily for every team every year. What would be a successful season for Everett be this year? Well, the one thing I've always tried to do is play 10 games and then decide whether uh, you're going to look to add to the group or maybe you're going to subtract to the group and look to the future. And I, I would like to do that again and see how we 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 fare after 10 games. Uh, but but again, uh, they've never missed the playoffs here, so we're not we're not looking to miss them this year. Right. Uh, but again, I. I you know, our goal is always to finish in the top two in our division, so you get a home ice advantage in the first round of the playoffs too. So that's something uh, we'll certainly uh, be talking to with our group here. Our coaches are aware that's what we look to do as well. So, so uh, I guess success would certainly one step would make the playoffs. Secondly, would be to finish in the top two in the U.S. division here. But uh, again, it's it's going to be a dogfight. That is quite the record for the franchise, though, having not missed the playoffs ever. There's, there's got to be a little pressure that goes along with that, too. Well, it's, it's interesting because the first year I was hired here, uh, we made a promise to our season ticket holders that we guaranteed them we didn't make the playoffs again. And we, I think we finished eight out of ten <laughs> and snuck in. Uh, but, uh, yeah, that's uh, something that we uh, take a lot of pride in here, and we want to continue that streak. Well, excellent. Gary, I really appreciate your time. Uh, we'll look forward to uh, seeing the Everett Silver Tips coming through Edmonton this year. It's, it's uh, every second year, and it happens to be this coming season that the U.S. teams will make a tour through the Central Division. So we'll look forward to that and certainly wish you the best of luck this season. Thank you for your time. No problem. We'll look forward to seeing you very early in the new year, I think, or is That's it the right. last day of December? We're in the, in Red Deer and Edmonton before we head over to PG for uh, our one road trip there. So we, we look forward to it. All right. Thanks, Gary. Okay. All the best. Bye now. That's Gary Davidson, very pleasant man to speak with. I'm trying to remember now, actually, if that might have been the first time that I've had him on the show. I, I know I've spoken with him before, but may have just been in person uh, at the rink and not actually on the show. Regardless, really nice guy, and enjoyed that conversation a lot. And if there's one thing you can expect from year after year with the Everett Silvertips, goaltending's not going to be a problem for them. And I am interested to see how it uh, works out with uh, Dustin Wolf and now Keegan Karkey as well. Remember, I had Karki on the show a couple of years ago when it was his NHL draft season. That was the year he played in the USHL. Last year, didn't play much. So I imagine he's motivated to get his uh, career back on track and uh, land a pro contract. So I am definitely curious to see how Keegan Karki makes the adjustment uh, to the Western Hockey League. And it sounds like, and I might be just uh, reading too much into things, but I think Everett might be in the market for some forward help. But we'll see how that plays out. That is going to end it here for episode one of season 15. I can tell you exactly who is on the show next week. Five more teams will be on board for the WHL preview series. Going to start with Brent Sutter, the head coach, GM, owner, head usher. Does it all for the Red Deer Rebels. We'll also speak with uh, Dean Brockman, who also head coach and GM of the uh, Swift Current Broncos. So a couple of Central Division teams there. Also be a couple of uh, BC Division teams. Uh, Cam Hope, General Manager of the Victoria Royals and uh, the Prince George Cougars will be on as well. That's Mark Lamb, uh, the uh, GM of the Prince George Cougars. And one more U.S. Division team, it'll be the Spokane Chiefs, Manny Viveros, who was 
recently named the head coach for this coming season. He was on the bench of the NHL's Edmonton Oilers last year and, of course, uh, took the Swift Current Broncos to a WHL title and on to the Memorial Cup the season before that. So Manny Viveros back in the WHL. We'll chat with him next week here on the program. So uh, lots to look forward to if you're a fan of the Western Hockey League. And a reminder, you can get all of those interviews before the show comes out. If you're a patron, you go to patreon.com slash show. Sign up for the $2 a month uh, early access package, and uh, you can hear all of those interviews. I'm scheduled to speak with Brent Sutter Monday morning. By noon Monday, you'll be able to hear that interview if you're a patron at patreon.com slash show. Until next week, everybody, get out and enjoy the last little bit of summer before we're back in the rink. We'll chat with you next week. See ya.